The occasionally annual quarter to three, make us see whatever you want. Raffle Palooza 016 is still going, but the clock that always says quarter to three is ticking down fast. Does making Tom and Dingus watch Zapped, Passion of the Christ, or Wet Hot American Summer and talking to me about it on the internet for upwards of an hour sound mildly diverting right now in your current condition? Then now's your chance to participate and make internet movie podcast history results that will endure till your next porn session. It's like a sweepstakes, but the prize is there is no prize. What are the odds? To join the revolution monetarily, just follow these quarter to three simple steps. Number one, donate by clicking the button on the front page of quarter to three or by going to paypal.me forward slash QT3 or by donating directly to tobwchick at gmail.com. Number two, make sure to specify your movie in the comment section for the donation. If you forget to, your choice automatically defaults to Videodrome. Number three, deadline is February 12th at 9 p.m. Pacific. Just a quick note from the show's producer. Kelly states are, in fact, incorrect. You have until February 21st at 9 p.m. Pacific to submit your votes. That means you only have four days from when I'm speaking these words, which means that unless you're one of the 13 people who saw Jane got a gun this week as it disappeared from theaters as rapidly as the once mighty buffalo disappeared from nature's theater the moment revolvers became widely available to fuckwads, it's probably already too late. But that's still a few days. Again, not true. You have until February 21st at 9 p.m. Pacific. As a side bonus, you'll get to hear Tom do the math involved and roll the historic quarter-to-three-sided die, unless Markertson's doing it. Anyone, even Charlie Bucket, can win, but the more you pledge, the better your odds of famously griefing the man who gave Halo 4 two stars, and vice versa. Who could forget the fun we all had from 2013's raffle winner, Why Did I Get Married Again 2, in which black couples continued struggling to understand why they got married too. Black people hate being married. Don't they realize you don't need to stay married, too? The legal system offers a cure. It's called murder. Well, good luck, and may the best or worst movie win. Thanks. This is Kelly Wan of the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast saying good luck and whatever else I just said. Bye. Listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Jane Got a Gun. My name is Tom Chick, and I am here with Christian Kruslaski. I'd like my gang name to be Spatula. And with our Jane Got a Gun tagline, maybe multiple taglines, Kelly Wand. Now she just needs to shoot it. <laughs> Kelly Wand, are there other runners up? It's like bad girls, but with dudes. Keep going. I don't want to stop you. You're on a roll. Ewan McGregor's most memorable villain since Haywire. Oh, yeah. Wow, I forgot about that. Are there more? That's a good note that's, to end on. But that's the more. joke. Ewan McGregor's most memorable mustache since Phantom Menace. He didn't have a mustache in there. <laughs> you remember Phantom Menace? Oh, you got me. Oh, <laughs> dadgummit. You didn't look close enough at his whole body. 
I was telling Dingus, uh, Dingus and I went and saw the movie together, and on the way back, uh, I was explaining to him. Menace? <laughs> Please. Uh, on the way back from Jane Got a Gun, I, I was explaining that I spent the first half of that movie trying to remember Ewan McGregor's name. Because do you ever, like, see someone, and you're like, I don't, who is that? He looks familiar. And then you realize who it is, but because it looked like someone different, you can't think the of actor's their name. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't think of his name. Ewan McGregor. I know, Well, I know now. Thank you. Jeez. And halfway through, I finally got that, but I was sitting there going, what is that guy's name? Is it like you know that? what? I spent the whole movie like that. <laughs> I'm not joking. I was like, I remember someone bigs in this, and it's not Edgerton. It's obviously, but I couldn't recognize him. Yeah, it took me a while, and then I couldn't think of his name, uh, and that took me a while. So I, I was I was actually pretty entertained for a large portion of this movie, at least, trying to think of his name. Like, that was entertainment. And we couldn't recognize Ewan McGregor, which is weird. No, I recognize He's him. not recognizable in that first scene, and that kind of sets yeah. the tone. And it looks like he's got some weird teeth thing going on that they did. I didn't recognize him in that first scene. That, that made him relatable to me. Nash Edgerton, and I didn't recognize him at all. Ewan McGregor had a kind of a Jeff Fahey thing going. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. He did kind of have that. But then then you, you hear his voice, even from behind him in, in one of the early scenes. You're like, yeah, that's that's his Ben Kenobi. Why, why are we talking about this movie when there might be spoilers and people don't want spoilers for this movie yet? So stand by. Hope we didn't run you off. We're not going to give you any Jane Got a Gun spoilers just yet. Oh, run you off. It's like at least, a Western. At least beyond what we've already done. So before we talk about that movie, Kelly Wand, uh, I want you to, to be the judge. Dingus, I challenge you to a, a synopsis of <laughs> You want me to be the judge is the, is the draw. Like the judge, right, 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 and the administrator, and the hot chick who like drops the 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 bra to begin the drag race, do oh. all of those things, and, and the hot chick carries the numbers between the boxing rounds. So everyone remember? Yeah, right, 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 right. That one time too. it is exactly. All right, all right. Here uh, we go. Round one. This is the movie. You're here. This is your hint. Okay. This, this is the movie that made me want to be a bunch of dust. Bunch of dust. Stardust memories. <sighs> Okay, if you guess, you're not allowed to guess anymore. Nope, I take that back then. Okay. I'm just kidding. You can guess repeatedly. Red Planet. Certainly hope. I will now begin to read the clue. <laughs> In 1890s Wyoming... Meek's cut off. Sheriff James Averill Jeez. attempts to protect immigrant farmers from wealthy cattle interests and also clashes with the hired gun... Nathan Champion over the woman they both love. Both men find themselves questioning their roles in the furious conflict between wealthy landowners and European immigrants attempting my to wagon. Giant. new lives on the American frontier, which culminates in a brutal pitched battle. I don't know westerns. What? It's all yours. I thought this would be an easy one for some reason. Great to rest. One of you. Gunfight at the OK Corral. High noon. Huh. No, it's not high noon. Even I know that. High noon's oh. high noon's more than just a western. High moon's actually a good. High noon is a good movie. High moon is awesome though. High moon, I've not seen. That's the Jenna Jameson one. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Who's that? But if I could bring the house down, it's the prequel to uh, Three O'clock Moon. Calamity, Jenna Jameson. <laughs> we don't, Kelly Wand, you've you've stumped both of us with this western. I can't believe it. I really wanted some one of you guys to get it. James Avril is the character's name. I don't name. know yes. why I care. Yeah, I just thought a western. And the and the other clue is a bunch of dust. 
Huh? Western with a bunch of dust. Fistful of dust. Fist, and it's dollars. Fistful of dollars. Fistful of dust. For a few dusts more. Yeah, oh, right. The good, the bad, and the dust. The outlaw Josie dust. The good, the bad, and the dust, Um, It's uh, Heaven's Gate. Oh, my God. Good Lord. Look, have you, none of us have seen it. That's not the issue. I've seen Heaven's Gate, isn't that the... Oh, no, no, no. You know what? I'm, I'm thinking of uh, what's the early Terrence Malick thing with Richard Gere. Isn't that something about Heaven? Yeah, Days no, of Heaven. Days of Heaven. That's the one I've seen. I have not seen the Michael Cimino uh, famous yeah. disaster. Yeah, nobody's it's the seen one that, that ruined the 70s for everyone. Yeah, Plus, it's, like, it's also 1980, which also ruined the 70s. <laughs> I would have guessed Ishtar before that. Oh, Ishtar I love. Wait, that's not a Western? Yeah, but it's got it's dust Ishtar. in it. Uh, I'm sorry. I really oh, thought that was a fun one. Because there's a dust storm in Days of Heaven, isn't there? Is there also one in... in uh... There's a dust storm in every Western. I don't know if there's a dust storm, but there's a huge fire. I mean, there's a, all that smoke and whatnot. Is there a dust storm? It's like there not being a sea storm in a, in a ship movie. Like, oh, mm. weather's great, Sarge. <laughs> all right, so uh, you know what? We'll just have to put off this contest until next week. So Dingus is to draw. Uh... Well, Kelly finally gets a point. The house gets a point. Wait, I don't want to point. It doesn't seem. I don't want to stump you. The dungeon master is not about beating the player. Well, you'll have to make up for it then next week, Kelly Wan, because you failed this week and earned a point. I'm sorry to tell you. Huh. Well, fuck. All right, Dingus. What movie did? Speaking of westerns, uh, what movie did we see this week? I don't really care that much. But well, this week we saw Jane got a gun, Mm. a 2016 American action drama western movie about scheduling conflicts. It was directed by Gavin O'Connor and written by Brian Duffield and Anthony Tombakis ampersand Joel Edgerton. It stars Joel Edgerton, Natalie Portman, Ewan McGregor, Noah Emmerich, and Boyd Holbrook. Jane Got a Gun is rated R for violence. Yeah, for violence and some language. Huh. There's a bloody headshot in that movie, Kelly Wand. That's a bloody headshot. I don't remember giving him... Never mind. Uh, All right, Jane got a gun. Wait. Wait. Yes. Yes. I'd like to add some ratings to that. Right, oh, right, Kelly One. Yes. Yeah, so, what did the That's NBA what miss? That uh, the, the gallery. The, yeah. What should parents be warned about besides violence and, and language? The MPA forgot to add mild sense of place, some Natalie Portman, and sustained scenes of graphic tedium. Those are kind of spoilers, Kelly Wand. Some Natalie Portman. <laughs> Well, uh, Jane Got a Gun did not do very well at the box office. It opened at number 17. <laughs> In February. It didn't yeah, even it make... Was... Go ahead. Didn't even quite make a million dollars, made 800,000. They didn't open it anywhere, though, right? They It had a it had a, a release here. It wasn't even a limited release. It opened on... So a really big movie will open on maybe, you know, 4,000 screens. Uh, a medium big movie will do like 3,000 screens, and... Something like this, this opened on 1,200 screens, and that's that's a respectable number of screens for a relatively small movie like this. Uh, so not only did it not make a million dollars, did it not enter the top ten, uh, by opening on 1,200 screens and only making $800,000, the per screen average, and this is a lot of times an important metric for how well a movie does, um, was $691. Now, you may not have much context for that. Uh, $691 per screen. Plenty of movies come to that after they've been out for a while. 
Um, you know, something like like uh, like Spectre will be out for like 10, 12 weeks, whatever. And by the time it gets to its 12th week, it's doing like, you know, $300, $400 a screen. So they yank it. They're done with it. Um, but no movie, none, no movie that gets released to 1,200 screens opens with that kind of average. With movie stars. Maybe, you know, if you had like a documentary about the plight of – Indigenous tribes in Myanmar, like something like that, that <laughs> might open at six hundred ninety-one million dollars a screen. I went and looked on Box Office <laughs> Mojo. Billion dollars a screen. I went Sorry. and looked at uh, Box Office Mojo for for movies that actually did open wide, like on over a thousand screens, and made that in their opening weekend. So, uh, uh, Jane Got a Gun is on the same level as Free Willy Three and Delgo. And I don't know if people know what Delgo is, but uh, I invite you to to look it up and watch the trailer for that. Uh, really gets captured a third time? I guess so, yeah. You'd think the killer whale would be smart <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think he just wants back in to the big So uh, It was buried, though. Like, this movie was buried the way that there was, like, a Bradley Cooper Jennifer Lawrence western that no one saw. It's supposed to be really bad. Uh, I Well, see, I, I knew about this movie mainly because it had a lot of press from the production, which we'll get into. In right, a right, right, right. Uh, uh, and I was, because of the the director and the, the stars that were cycled through, I, I, I knew plenty about it, but I guess not from marketing, just from reading trades or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it definitely got buried, and there's a reason for that. It's, it's, uh, it basically was leftovers from a, a distribution company that imploded called Relativity. Uh, so it's just people trying to recoup their losses, I, I think. Uh, but okay, so it, it didn't didn't make anyone any money. Uh, it's a bomb. Let's check out how it did critically. On Metacritic, the average rating from various reviews uh, on a scale from one to a hundred, Jane got a gun, fifty, right there, smack dab in the middle. <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes, the percentage of reviews that are positive for Jane got a gun, thirty four percent of the reviews are positive. Huh. So fifty's the good news. It, it could be one. Yeah, exactly. It could have been 49. Wait, are you doing a Star Wars joke? With it could be worse. That's a Star Wars joke? Uh, it is. It's worse. It, it, I think of it could be worse as a Marty Feldman joke. <laughs> Wait. From young, Frank, young Frankenstein. Could be worse. Could be raining. Isn't that a Marty Feldman thing? Is that the guy with the, the eyes that are... Uh, yeah. Yeah. What's he say? It could be raining. Yeah, it could be worse. Could be raining. Then it starts raining. Ha ha. Come on, you're the, you guys are the Mel Brooks apologists here. You, I'm surprised you didn't know that. I think that's just me, but also, so Lucas stole from Young Frankenstein. <laughs> exactly, so, right, right. Huh. Well, the truth will out, Thomas. Speaking of outing the truth, Kelly Wan, why don't you give us a synopsis of things that truly happened in Jane Got a Gun? I'm going to give you the truth as I remember it. That, I paraphrase Robert Durst. I, I look forward to hearing that. A bed exists. <clears throat> Sorry. Let me start all over. A bed exists. On it, Portman tells a kid we'll never see again till the last shot. Once upon a time, there was a tree trunk full of shadow puppets. See, here's one of my hand, and here's one of my other hand, and here's one of your head. No, head. Here, you fucking idiot. Watch me do it. Mommy, that's your foot. 
yeah, well, mommy's a little too tired right now to stand. You get the idea. Anyway, there was also an upside-down tree under that tree, and it was full of peanut butter and unicycles. One day, they turned evil and caused a UFO to land safely. But also, some other stuff happened. The end. Fuck. Maybe I should have just winged this instead of writing it all out in advance. Mommy, did the unicycles in the right-side-up tree turn evil arbitrarily? Uh, if they had, I think I would have set it up. This was a bad idea. Story time's over. Good night. Speaking of which, I'm not just your mommy. I'm also Princess Leah's. But no pressure, honey. Some words are all Jane got a gopsis. Portman spends some theme music beating some rows of radishes with a shovel, then goes into her cabin's bedroom and starts wiping dust onto her windows. Just as she starts churning butter in her cotton gin, Jim Carrey's buddy from Truman Show rides up on a bored horse. She's all, hey, Truman, what's up? He groans and topples from his horse into the dirt. She's all, the butter's almost done. The cotton gin explodes. A word's all. Later, Truman lies on a bed while she carves holes into his back with a knife. Okay, I'm pulling something out. Feels like a bullet. And, nope, rib. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this bullet's not coming out. It's just in almost as deep as the knife. He's all, well, maybe that's because he's poking it in deeper. She's all, watch your language. I think there's a child off screen. He's all, speaking of which, Ewan McGregor and his 38 brothers are coming. Reckon we should have settled down more than 100 yards away. She's all, uh, I thought I told you math is boring. Also, Jane, I reckon it's time you got a gun. (laughs) I mean guns. Plural. Although kerosene would be better. And a gunfighter, because the guns will be useless without one. Especially seeing as how I'm sorely wounded here from your nursing efforts. She's all, who? I look over at Clint Eastwood's empty chair beside me and go, (laughs) I really like when westerns have these languid, big sky country slow opens, because that way later when things turn all deer hunter super abruptly, we'll be all like, huh, what? The chair squints at me and rasps something, and Oscar falls on it. Portman, put, <laughs> Portman puts on a fetching Undertaker's outfit and her Abe Lincoln hat, gets on a beautiful horse, then rides majestically past a fence next to a house with that guy from Great Gatsby, uh, Aaron Heatherton, in it. Aaron's busy in the yard sawing off a scarecrow's skull and trying to stuff a brain inside it. He looks up, sees Jane, spits, and goes, You suck! He slams his saw down, throws the brain in her face, stomps inside, and shuts the door. She spits the brain off, gets up off the ground, wipes the dust onto herself, heads for the door, trips, and goes sprawling again. Swearing, she gets up, smears the dust into her shawl, takes a careful step forward, nothing dumb, takes another step, nothing, very slowly takes a third step. All clear, all good, everything's cool. She starts walking across the yard, eyeing the scarecrow uneasily. Finally, she gets to the door, knocks twice, and explodes. A word's all later inside the house. Dag, burn it, Portman. I told you you suck. Now look at my yard. You blew up all over it. The scarecrow don't even look scary no more with all them blood and guts on it. She's all, sorry, I thought you said come in. Anyway, 38 people are coming to kill me, and you're my nearest former love interest. It's still too early in the movie for me to tell you why. But long story short, they're mad because I let them drug me. Look, ordinarily I'd hit up the guy I'm currently married to, but he's dying from knife wounds, some idiot inflicted on his back, trying to extract bullets. 
Aaron Heatherton's all Christ. Starting to remember why I needed three years away from you. This pisses her off. She's all, oh, yeah, well, why don't we make it two? He's all, honey, will you? Math's not your, could you just, don't slam the, fine, go ahead, you dumb. Will you just come, it's not going to stink up. Will you at least just, ah, shoot. Outside, we hear her trip and fall and pat dust onto herself. Aaron Heatherton shakes his head nostalgically and goes, same old Portman. He watches her through the window while remorse music plays as she mounts her horse and explodes. Portman goes into town to buy a bullet in a sexual assault in someone's backyard. A character who, from his accent and spittle issues, is obviously blood-related to Ewan McGregor, shows her some makeup on his neck. Then he's all, All right, damn you. Where's Truman's show at? We's gonna need him to help find you. Aaron Heatherton walks on the screen. <laughs> Sorry. No, I'm with you on that one. Aaron Heatherton walks on screen. I guess ignored by the treacherous shopkeeper. Everybody points guns at each other till Portman and Heatherton remember that it's a two-on-one. As Portman and Heatherton stand over the net character's bullet-ridden corpse and vaguely look at each other, she's all, I guess you could call this a fight cute. Some music plays. Princess Leah leans over to me and goes, Unlike me, Portman and McGregor didn't do much of significance after Star Wars. Compare that with my next project, which was Under the Rainbow. It was great to finally work with a strong script and hundreds of little people pawing at me not wearing Ewok costumes. Plus, Chevy was on his usual hot streak. I nod dutifully, then look over at Bay Ling sitting on my other side and go, So are you putting in cutting the Oscars also? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Before she could answer, Aaron Heatherton's teaching Portman how to shoot bottles. He shatters ten bottles on ten different stumps with ten bullets, then hands the pistol to her and goes, Now you try. No, what the fuck? Don't put it in your mouth. You aim that part. At the target. She fires. Inside the house, Truman screams in pain. Ow! Aaron Heatherton sighs glumly. He's all, I can see now the movie title might have been meant ironically. I mean, good girl. Uh, did you at least fill those jars with kerosene like I asked you? She's all, yeah, all ten of them. I put them out here on these stumps. They stare at the ten shattered bottles he just shot. She's all, fuck, sorry. Don't worry, I'll just go back to that same store as before and get more. The shopkeeper was real nice. Here, I'll empty out new jars before I leave. She picks up a red jar and pours out the contents all over her in Heatherton's pants. He's all, oh, I hate this movie. Inside the house, Truman's all, Hey, anybody seen my painkiller? It's in the red jar. These knife wounds really hurt. Some flashbacks show that the characters dislike each other for uninteresting reasons. My mind, Kelly, wanders. Some words are all, a scene that takes place at night. Truman wakes up to see Aaron Heatherton sitting by his bed pointing a gun at him. Aaron Heatherton's all, Think you're pretty clever, don't you, marrying a man's woman just because she thinks he's been dead for three years. Well, guess what? 
I ain't clever, and you ain't dead. She ain't pretty. Portman walks on screen. Her expression's the same as usual, so everyone looks away uncomfortably. She's all, um, so I say we all share the bed. Aaron, you take middle, obviously. For the sake of propriety, the scarecrow will also join us. She raises it into view by the straw penis. The next night, you and McConaughey and his eight the eight brothers right almost on screen. <laughs> almost on screen. Portman and Aaron Heatherton trick 37 of them by blowing them up or waiting for them to fall off the roof. This gets me thinking. I head out to the lobby and up to the projectionist booth and say to the projectionist, My name's Kelly. Hey, I know the Revenant's based on a real historical incident that actually happened to DiCaprio. But in Johnny Depp's Lone Ranger, when the horse saved Lone Ranger and Tano by getting on the roof somehow and just standing there, was that based on something that happened to DiCaprio? The projectionist is all, Nicht spreche English bitte. I'm all, I knew it. I head back down to my seat, smiling triumphantly. This must be how cops feel when they hang someone. To celebrate, I tip the nearest usher my empty popcorn bag. In the movie, Portman and Heatherton trick the bad guys again by hiding in a fruit cellar and hoping they go away. After a while, Portman's all, Ah, fuck, we forgot to bring Truman down. When they climb back up, they look at Truman's bullet-riddled body on fire and then sigh at each other. Portman's all, oh, well, at least we tried. Should we put bullets in our guns and start shooting back at the guys still left outside? <laughs> Heatherton's all, no, I got a better idea. <laughs> he takes off all his clothes, opens the door, goes, hopefully they're not watching the doors, and tiptoes off. <laughs> Portman's all, I think he meant follow him, and heads out the same door and walks around till she finds McConaughey sneering at her while lying down. He's all, by the way, I'll tell you your daughter's alive if you promise not to shoot me. She's all, you just told me. He's all, ugh. Well, I guess me and my 38 brothers should approach the house less dumbly. Okay, look, I'll tell you where your daughter is if you promise not to shoot me in the face afterwards. She's all, okay. He's all, she's at, she shoots him. She's all, shit. Sorry. Sorry about that. It's dumb. It's lose, lose. She and Heatherton do nothing for the rest of the night. Then the next day, meet two kids and go with them for a walk into some credits. I look over at Cormac McCarthy sitting beside me and go, Geography... (laughs) (laughs) Fuck! I was so almost clear. Why does this happen? I look over at Cormac McCarthy sitting beside me and go, geography-themed movie genres with more vegetation would be cool. He's all, besides Portman? The end. Wow. Thank you, Kelly. Yeah. There's that. So do you guys know the backstory to this movie? Like how the the, Very trouble. the production went through? Yeah. Uh, Jude Law, and who was before Jude Law? Well, there was it was a, Bradley there was Cooper. Well, Bradley it was Cooper, originally Michael a Lynn yeah. Ramsey movie. Right. Lynn Ramsey's a Scottish director who uh, isn't known for this kind of material and clashed with the producers and was and fired. And since then, there have been lawsuits where people have been sort of airing out stuff in public to make people look bad. Um, right. And this was considered – this was like the, one of the great unproduced scripts. 
was right, nuts. right, exactly. Which I don't understand. I don't understand why no. it's, it's a it's pretty what formulaic. Happened? Yeah, I uh, yeah. Well, there's this this thing called the blacklist, which you you guys know what that is, right? That's what Kelly's talking about, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I know, but but I just I have to wonder if 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 producers who constantly pass on things are like, see, that's why we pass on dopey shit like this. Yeah, but was it dopey they're, because they're the script was bad, or did it get fucked up later? What do you and mean? That's why people. Well, maybe with the script was good, and we just we don't know. And it's it utterly pedestrian angle. and predictable. I mean, what? yeah, I know, but maybe everything's changed. Well, the thing is, right? I could see at some point this being uh, a sort of a cool subversive western where there's a female heroine who drives yeah. the action. Oh, I see. Maybe, yeah. And and maybe that was the appeal. And you know, it was like a str- it, it could be a strong role for a woman. I don't know what happened in the in the journey to the no. screen because that's not what it turned out to be. The but maybe at, at some point there was, yeah, this is a good. Female vehicle western, you know, like Ghostbusters is taken off. It's the title. Yeah, the, the uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it gets that, doesn't it? Right, right, exactly. Well, no, uh, no. The title is about her hiring him. I mean, it's not. Well, it is a, and I love being able to roll this out. It's a synecdoche. Yeah. Uh, in that uh, the gun is a literal gun, but it's also like Dinka said, it's her boyfriend, and it's he is the gun, and uh, yeah, it's Jane got a boyfriend. Um, but isn't she yeah, so only gets a. Yeah, okay. I don't see how that leads to the idea that this could have been a script about a strong. I mean, because I mean, the, one of the first things that happens to her is he has to roll in and save her. I mean, right? But a strong so female character, like she could have over the course of the movie. I mean, I think the idea of the movie is she's I mean, supposed to be, she's supposed to be like a, somehow pivotal on the siege at the right. end, or she grows into this strength. Uh, you know, I, who knows, Dingus? But well, I was hoping that she was a William Money character from the beginning. That. You know, when she's, right. she's lying there in the upside down tree uh, story and she's saying, you know, her daughter says, you know, do people, do good people get bad in the upside down tree? And, she, and I think her answer is something like good people never go bad. But I think right. that the the idea that I was thinking when she straps on that gun at the beginning, when her, right. when Ham comes back, I was thinking, oh, she's been a badass all along, but she decided to become a mom and now she's going back to that life. Right. But it's you never get that sense. Right. You never get a sense of who, right the, who the fuck she is. And then at some point she can't shoot with a pistol and then she can't shoot with a rifle. But but she never uses it. Why doesn't he give her yeah, that? Yeah, I know. Like when, when Ewan McGregor has, has captured uh, Joel Edgerton, why doesn't she get the rifle and shoot Ewan McGregor? Like she, we've established she's a crack shot and the movie just forgot about that. Because it's just a gag. Uh, it's never used. It's just a whole bunch of let me shoot through smoky windows and that's all I'm going to do for the entire movie. I mean – well, music plays. That was the most boring assault on a cabin I've ever seen put to film. Oh, my remember. God. And the worst, like, uh, Home Alone payoff ever. I mean, yeah. Lord. Oh, shit. Yeah. Why, well, did they, I, cause I, yeah. why were there what? nails in the jars? Like, I thought we were going to – there yeah. wasn't even a shrapnel payoff. There wasn't even a henchman payoff. You don't get to know any uh, of the henchmen. Even Vic's death is, like, 38 – yeah. How do you know? I have no. You, you knew. You already didn't know way more than me. There's a guy named Vic. Yeah, Vic's his right hand man. Sometimes his left hand man. He's the guy who, like, oh. who like gives the joke about you know he to, he told me to take care of her, but I didn't know what that meant. Okay. And he, he gets shot at the end. You know, because that's, so that's a great way to dispatch the right hand man. Is just oh, I'll just shoot him and then have somebody walk up behind me. Yeah, the only ones I remember, I didn't know his name was Vic or him and uh, Tattoo Face. Like those are the like two guys who. Like featured henchman, I, I guess. Yeah. Right, and then so there's a guy with stuff carved in his forehead. Oh, that's who I thought you were talking about. Oh, that's Vic. Yeah, that's Vic. You're right. right, right. The guy who can't keep his mouth shut. Right, right. By taking care of her, he meant put the kid's uh, shoe in the creek. So <laughs> for no reason, 
Kelly, so no, I'm going to find it. He's got a weird sense of humor like you. What? That's, that's an excellent point, though, is the, the movie, yeah, why she does lies. why does she, she see a shoe in the creek if a child wasn't drowned in the creek? Like, did the movie at some point decide, you know what, we're not going to kill the kid. Let's change yeah, that part. So. But they'd already shot, like, the shoe in the creek or something? Or or they yeah. wanted her to, them to think the kid was dead, but then why? Yeah, that's the, shoe the, in the most, creek? That's the most unsatisfying oh, survival of a child I've ever seen on movies. Well, if they want her to think that she crawled under the dumpster, dingus. Because see, Kelly Wan, they don't want her. If they want her to think the kid is dead, they would have told her. Like she, she finds out by by Noah Emmerich, like saying, "Event solely the rescuer." Yeah, he doesn't yeah. do anything. He just gives that sad. Mm. Yeah, they don't engineer her finding out. There's, but there's a shoe in the lake that she recognizes as her daughter's shoe. It's like the opposite of a Bechdel test. <laughs> what? You heard me. Yeah. Say it right. But also, it's Portman. You go, oh, Portman's going to be an un... Because she... Remember how frail she seemed in Black Swan? Like, that's what she does really well. And then it's like, oh, it's going to be Attack of the Clones. Tell me, are you telling me that Princess Amidala was frail? (sighs) At the end, yeah. Yeah, the shoe is utterly dumb. There's no reason for it to be an accident. Because he can't run through the forest to find a shoe floating in and why was he gone for three years edgerton uh, well, i got that they did well, he was at the, he was in the civil war hello well he was not in the civil yeah. war he was captured he was like in a in, yeah. a, in a, a rebel uh wait was he a union soldier yeah he was in a rebel uh, yeah. prison camp because yeah, he talks uh, about the johnnies and he gives the whole i was you know the only reason people have to survive survive is if they have a will and i loved you and Kind of yeah, but then don't you just get a notice going, "Hey, he's in the prison camp." You do not. Well, no. like in, in not not all wars are like that. That civil, quote unquote. You get a uh, notice at the post the office the if you send a letter to the post office. Right. Wait, what? Oh. I, mean, I think we're supposed to wonder why didn't he write her? Why didn't like? And she's wondering, you know, he's in the military. Why doesn't he write me? She didn't know that he was in a prisoner of war camp, and there was no communication about it. But don't they, don't they assume that that's a possibility? Likewise, but, like, oh, what? But the way they express this is in this petulant conversation where right. where he says, well, if you would have gone to the post office, you would have seen if I was dead. And she's like, well, I would have gone to the post office if you would have written me. I mean, it's this terrible. And then, they, and then it's, he's watching. He just sees them married or something from a hill. And, then and they make eye contact, by the way. And they make <laughs> eye contact. That is worse. She doesn't tell him either. She could write him after that and does it. So she sucks. And she and gets then, this- this gape mouth, like, <gasps> look, it looks like something oh from God. reality television flashback. Yeah, it is the worst. It is. Okay, it's where was you guys, where was, where did you guys first know that things were going terribly wrong? Um, when she got to the store and was buying all the, the dynamite. Oh, by the way, no dynamite payoff. I mean, what the? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. That's where things – and then when she went, she came back to the cabin, and then also the first flashback. I was like, eh. Dingus, did you – was there a particular red flag for you or a moment where you're like, uh-oh? Yeah, the moment that um, Dan, uh, who's Joel Edgerton's character, walks into the alley uh, is the moment I knew, okay, this movie's pretty much – Behind the store? Yeah, that, that first yeah, moment, you know, we've got, we've got our first real rape threat because you can't have a Western without a rape threat. Um, we've got that first thing going on, and then Joel Edgerton's character, who she's just left and is, like, just decided, I guess, moments later, yeah, I'm going to follow her, yeah. and then walks in with it, you know, fully loaded, fully sober, you know, ready to protect her. The moment 
the moment that happens and that's how she's rescued, I realized, ah, oh, this is just yeah. pedestrian bullshit. I was to a store where the guy's in on it somehow. I was Sorry. onto it way before you guys because the moment where I sort of thought, wait a minute, someone's not paying attention or someone doesn't really care that much. When she's doing the shadow puppets, she has an immaculate manicure. Like her nails are perfect. There's no dirt under them. They're all even. Like I, because I, I hate in a western where, the, where like some of the guys will have the prosthetic teeth, and then all the movie stars have the like nice white contemporary teeth. Mm-hmm. But there's a, a shot of her hand, and I'm like look at those manicured nails. What what kind of what kind of western is this? Someone just didn't care on the day they were shooting. No, nobody wanted to like make Natalie Portman's hands look like she lived in a cabin. Well, the, uh, well, the, yeah, nails, the, the nails are your uh, western news crawl. That's my well, and I wasn't quite bored at that point. I was like, and also, you know, I've said before, anytime you have a movie where a professor is giving a lecture, for instance, or someone is reading a book, or in this case, a child is being related to a story, pay attention because there's a reason the director chose that or the right. writer, and there will be some payoff. Mm-hmm. So, Dingus, like you said, that whole, you know, the, the point of this story is do good people ever turn bad? Right. No relevance whatsoever to anything uh, going on in the movie. So, yeah, who that apply to? I still don't know what character that's referring to. I, I think I think it's just it's it's careless as the shoe in the stream. It's just like we have this scene, we don't know what we're going to do with it. Well, we shot it. Oh well, let's stick it in there. I mean, I think it's that simple. Um, it's an it follows opening. What? How dare you? How dare you? What do you mean an it follows opening? It follows just like it's an. Uh, no, I know. I'm saying it's like it's setting up an ominous. Good people don't turn bad. Like, oh, right. Well, I mean, yeah. There's a reason. There should be a reason right. that, you're, that, that we have. We're watching her tell her daughter this story, and, and there exactly, isn't. exactly. She should have had to do something morally compromising. Instead, she says one one line to uh, Dan about, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't pay you to have to kill a man or whatever. And then they have this long talk about how battles work and how, you know. You know, the last one surviving is the one who wins the battle. I don't know. It's, it's, it, this movie is such a mishmash of terrible lines. Uh, here's another thing too that I, I realized: no one cares. Like no one is. No one. Even by the way, uh, Joel Edgerton and Natalie Portman, they they were obviously drawing from their experience with just showing up to collect a paycheck yeah. that they had learned from playing Uncle Owen and Princess Amidala. Like, it was that same level of commitment from them. Uh, that neither of them seemed interested in this. And even, I think, I have a theory here, the director of photography, uh, oh, there's, a, yeah. there's, the, there's that nighttime scene that is bathed in blue like some 80s Cinemax movie. It is so conspicuously blue. Yeah. And if that's not bad enough... It you know it's supposed to be moonlight and you okay I can accept that whatever moon super blue moonlight fine but then they have this outdoor shot where he goes out on the porch because he hears a noise or something and it's it's blue out to a certain range like like the moonlight stops and that's where the bad guys are standing where they end up shooting from and that's not how the moon works like the moon shines on the entire earth it doesn't stop at an arbitrary line to hide bad guys. Um, so just even that, the DP didn't even care about this, which is a shame, too, because I, I looked her up. Her name is uh, uh, Mandy Walker, and mm-hmm. she has done movies that are actually attractive. Where did I write these down? She well, did um, Shattered Glass. Shattered Glass, though, isn't that big a deal. Like, Shattered Glass is a very But she did Australia thing. as well, I think. That's not even the one I was thinking of. What else? Did oh. I just, where did I? No, but the person who was supposed to do it was Darius Kanji. Uh, well, she did Lantana, which is an Australian movie, which actually looks. Oh, beautiful. Lantana is. Uh, and she did she did Red Riding Hood, which is also a beautiful movie. Yeah. Which, um, 
Uh, yeah, and it was supposed to be – so, yeah, the, many people were recycled in and out of this this project. Um, but for me, and I don't know if you laid this at the feet of uh, Gavin O'Connor or Andy Walker, but all those shots through, the, through that old-timey glass, I mean – if you're going to use that to set up something later in the, and you're going to do it that many times, it just seems like they were so in love with that shot. And by the fifth or sixth time of shooting somebody like through this glass weirdly, I, I was done with that. And I don't know whether to lay it at her feet or at his feet, but either one, they, somebody should have said something. Okay. We've done this enough. We, this is played out. This, this shot through this, this, you know, I don't know what you call that glass. I, I, I'm almost certain that Tom mentioned it at some, maybe when we talked about reflections or, or shots through windows, something like that. Because um, that shot can be used to really great effect, but they used it over and over and over again. And one of those two is responsible for that, and the other one is responsible for not standing up for it. So I, I have very little regard for her as far as her shooting on this movie is concerned. Yeah, it's just another sign of, I think, someone who didn't care. And I, I suspect, too, even poor Gavin O'Connor, because Warrior, Dingus, we really liked Warrior, right? Like, Warrior, yeah, he, yeah, seemed I... to, he seemed to really appreciate what he had with Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton, and he, you know, he didn't he didn't screw it up. Like, like there were two good actors and a decent script, and mm-hmm. you'd think he would know what he was doing. And I just, I didn't get that sense from this movie, that anybody knew or cared about what they were doing. Uh, well, it went with the writing. It was consistent. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. What do you guys think about the, uh, you know, I don't know. Now that Kelly's brought up writing, let's talk about that first before I bring up editing. Because because I was, you know, oh, the, the the I'll bar, talk about it. The bar in westerns is so high because of last year, and mm-hmm. and especially Bone Tomahawk lays to shame every everything that this movie tries to pretend to do with western talk. When when uh, Dan says that thing about you and the one you left at the Bone Orchard, well, yeah. He, oh my God. <laughs> It's like somebody were like, I'm going to try to make an interesting line, uh, yeah. and they're, they're only going to, and I'm only going to do it for two words, and like then I'm going to never, McCarthy. never again in the movie am I even going to bother. No, instead that's we're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to call him a prick, and he's going to say I'm a prick, and that's all you guys are going to do, really? That's right. I forgot that bone orchard line thing. Is that was hilarious? And the one you left at the bone orchard. Every time they tried to do something like that, all I were there others? Because I don't. Everything else just seemed so contemporary. Were oh, there, there others? There was one other, and I can't even think of it now. It was it, it, all the lines are so forgettable, but they tried a couple of times. But that one where he says, "and the one you left at the bone orchard," I just wanted to smack my forehead. Uh, when when they've got you uh, and McGregor on the ground at the end, and he's saying, "Hey, your daughter's alive," which actually that kind of that that twist in a better movie, I would think would be kind of cool. Um, Kill Bell all over. Again. You don't believe a thing she's doing, but anyway, go ahead. But so yeah. they, they've she's got him uh, the gun pointed at him. He's on the ground. Uh, and I think he realizes that he's going to get killed anyway. And he says to her, uh, she's where everybody misses you. And I remember hearing that line and thinking, well, in heaven? Like, what is it? She was there for is he just was, saying that he killed her? <laughs> like even that line where we're supposed to then – she's supposed to then figure out the brothel or, or whatever. Right, right, right. But I, I heard that line. I was like, what, does that mean he killed her? Like it, it was just that imprecise. Why would he say? Yeah. Why is he taunting her when she's holding a gun on that's that's that yeah. Bad guys really need to learn to wise up when it's the end of the movie and they've really Even just Fort got Metal. To... Yeah, and it's the title of the movie. But... Uh, go ahead, Kelly. Just is Portman a good actress? I mean, I know she won not. I liked Black Swan a lot, but like, yeah, she can be. I mean, I, she was even the, the the what's the guy that made fun of the 
Garden State role where uh, it's like the, there's that typical like the the the, the magical pixie chick who uh, helps the nerd get in touch with his inner self. There, there was some critic who coined this term like it was a perfect term for characters like what she plays in Garden State. Like it was something like magical pixie or whatever. Uh, but I quite liked her in, in Garden State. She was really fun to watch yeah, and of course I've black swan um, she was my favorite performance that year and i think she can do that but there's there's a there's a couple scenes in here that are flat out embarrassing yeah and i never remember thinking anything bad about her talent like i did in this movie like what are you doing well you, Is it you, just everything? you kelly yeah. are usually pretty forgiving of actors that's what i'm saying so i'm surprised that Jane got again, where, where normally the writing, go, well, it's just a sh-. like Michael Fassbender. I don't put on the, on the hook for Prometheus, but like <laughs> in this, I'm like, even as bad as this is like the, sh- the look she's giving, like some, some scenes hinge entirely on an, exp- on an expression she's making. And it's completely the wrong expression for the scene, including yeah. the crucial one at the end. And it just happens over and over throughout the movie. And I'm like, and I suspect part of that gets to what Dingus wants to, Talk about with editing, right? Yeah, it's like a lot of that is you know editing and wake a performance, and it'll also scuttle one. Yeah. Um, yeah, the editing's I'm, awful. But what I'm specifically wanting to ask you guys is, um, I mean, you know how I feel about this, you know, 48 hours earlier thing. So we get to a point in this movie, of course, where we go seven years earlier. I don't even uh, think it was that dingus. It was like sprinkled through with flashbacks. Like I think it was supposed yeah, to be yeah. some current stories rather than this cheap narrative. Hey, we don't have anything interesting for you, so we're going to show you the good part, then we're going to back up. Right. I mean, I think it was supposed to be like a, you know, reminiscence scenes. Uh, well, I understand that, but I'm wondering how you guys feel about that editing structure for this particular movie, going seven years, five years, seven years, whatever. I'm, how, do you, I'm, how do you feel? How do you feel it works here, as far as the structure is concerned? Yeah, I, I mean, the movie's terrible, but I think it's yeah. working a good movie where you're you're filling in the blanks about character motivations that you yeah. understand, and that's why I can like say. Uh, maybe well, Memento like plays mm. with this whole back and forth with narrative. But this could have been maybe in the script. Um, this woman who thought she had been abandoned by a guy who went off to war, um, and we don't know why they didn't get together. But over the course of the story, through flashbacks, we find out it's because he was in a rebel prisoner of war camp. Um, and I can see making a decent story with discrete flashbacks dropped into certain places. Um, so if this movie hadn't been a mess, I mean, I, I wouldn't have necessarily objected to that. But I think the problem thing is it was just nothing was done well in this movie. Oh, uh, okay. And yeah, I'm trying to think, like, are there other – like, what's another movie where blanks are filled in over the course of the movie by flashbacks? And actually, Kelly Wan Memento is a good example, but Memento is so bold with its narrative jumps, I, I think. Um, well, I'm trying to think of ones where the last flashback makes you go, ah, and then everything else clicks or something. Right. But well, it's I, I supposed think, to affect your take on what you're watching that's taking place in yeah. the present. And in this, there's no point to any of it. You I, I think of uh, English Patient, but they're not really flashbacks. There's concurrent – uh, No, that's they're, good. They're, story, they're separate stories, and one is further back in time, and Juliet Binoche is the nurse, of course. Um, but I think of English Patient as that. Who is his patient, and what do you find out about him, and what's his motivation? Oh, what's very happened, good, and, yeah. Um, uh, like that's that's a similar structure, but English Patient I, I think is a great movie. Um, yeah, and it shows you the right moments. And in this, it's more right. it's just, it's just that you're asking more questions. Like, wait, did why didn't he? What what's going on at the war camp? How come he can't write the letter? Like, what's yeah, the I like that you think it's a work camp. <laughs> uh, there's actually a, a fairly decent movie. There's a fairly <laughs> decent movie, and it might be a made-for-TV thing. And the only actor I remember from it is is Tom Wilson, the guy that played Biff in Back to the Future. Yeah. 
So there's a movie about a rebel prisoner of war camp. I wish I could think of the name uh, during the Civil War, and it's like a Anderson Stalag thirteen. Oh, is that is that what it is, Kelly Wand? I don't know. I'm just saying the names because it might be. Yeah, it might be yeah, the name of the pickle work. <laughs> it might be the name of the camp. Um, Biff suddenly reminds me of Noah Emmerich. Oh yeah, yeah, very. Yeah. Good. They definitely have, yeah. and I like Noah Emmerich by the way. Like I, I like how he look. Like he looks like a normal guy. He doesn't look like a movie star, and I like that about him a lot. And he's got. Oh, I, I love that bit of casting. I definitely yeah. do. And yeah. I, I mean, I don't. I mean, I know him from a few things, but I just saw him on this television series on Netflix called Master of None, and he's really good in that. Yeah. He's really funny. Um, and I think it was really a bold choice to have him do that. And when he shows up uh, at the camp, at, in you know, at the house, and she's doing the surgery on him, and saying, "Is that that guy? That's that guy. That's the yeah. guy they chose. That's really cool." Yeah, I love how his skin is like pockmarked, and he looks yeah. like a weathered guy. Uh, and I don't know if you know this thing, as you guys probably do, but that is the role that Joel Edgerton was supposed to play when they had like a big money actor like Michael Fassbender or Jude mm-hmm. Law in the other part, and then. When they had huh. troubles with that role, they just booted um, Joel Edgerton into the spot for the, the male lead, um, and they moved in. You know, they got Noah Emmerich for that, uh, which so yeah, then, I'm, I'm with you, Dingus. That was good casting. So then, uh, I'm wondering what the leapfrogging is. Then, so Joel Edgerton was moved up, and is is that then how they got Gavin O'Connor? Uh, I think Gavin O'Connor was on it while. So uh, Jude Law was the last one, and he came with Ramsey. He came with Ramsey, and when she left, he bailed as well. Right. And did they have Bradley Cooper after that, Kelly Wong, or before? Yeah. 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 And then he bailed for scheduling. Right. So it was going to be Lynn Ramsey directing it with Bradley Cooper as the lead against Natalie Portman and Joel Edgerton as as the husband. Um, Well, well, all of them, when you read the production notes, I mean, it's always scheduling conflicts. Everybody's, oh, well, it was scheduling conflicts because the days of future past or whatever. But I, I, yeah, and I think sometimes like scheduling conflict uh, is uh, is a euphemism for yeah. I, get me out of this. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 well, I need to spend more time with my family. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Because, yeah, the hiking the Appalachian Trail of a movie star contact contracts. Yeah, I have a lot. I have a really intense production schedule on Joy coming up. Bradley Cooper. Um, oh right, yeah, I've got to do my scene. Uh, yeah, I've about six lines. Uh, so I don't know about you guys, but man, I had a hard time coming up with an under. What are you, uh, you going to do with know. something like this? I know. I, That's I, the I fun went, part of over-unders. One of them is always uh, impossible. Uh, I went for Young Guns um, because <laughs> – That's a good one. Of, of, of one or two. And otherwise, no, the first one, uh, because of a movie that takes itself too seriously and shouldn't. Okay, that, that works. But Young Guns was, was Young Guns like what? That sounds like thing is something that might be like some some fun '80s throwback thing to watch. Is Young Guns really like that bad? I have no idea. I have okay. no idea if it if really? it's up I because I, I just kind of was looking for. Uh, first, I was trying to look outside the box and not you know. Let me just think of things that aren't westerns. Uh, That's a good Young Guns joke. If but I just <laughs> but I just you know I remember loving Young Guns, but mainly because. The peop- the girls I hung out with high school just loved that group of people because of Breakfast Club. And a lot of those dudes wound up on Young Guns. Um, uh, but yeah, I just chose it because of the taking itself too seriously thing. Well, all, all I could do for an under is that movie that I've talked about before called Summer Love, which is this absolutely nonsensical, you could almost say surrealist uh, Polish Western in which uh, Val Kilmer, he, he's a corpse throughout the movie, he has no lines. And Carol Rodan 
uh, lights his head on fire to staunch his scalp wound. Like those are the notable things about Summer Love. Otherwise, it's still interested. So you're choosing movies where they cauterize wounds with gunpowder. With gunpowder, right. And then the over, of course, Revenant. Uh, no, I mean, I just, I'm thinking of a Western that I'm watching and going, why am I watching this? This makes no sense. This is terrible. Uh, and I stuck with it. So I would rather watch this again than have to deal with the ridiculousness of Summer Love, which is some... The whole movie? Summer Love is like a, a Polish artist's like art project. He's not a director. He's like this artist fellow who decided he was going to make a movie. So it yeah. needed more polish. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Wan, what is, what is your under? What's something that's worse than Jane Got a Gun? Well, you should do Dingus's, because mine's about relationships. His is... Uh, oh, your under. Is it, well, Dingus's is Young Guns. Uh, oh, all right, my under's Cat Baloo, which was a... Oh, uh, yeah, it's a Burt Reynolds Western. Really? All right. Lee Marvin. Oh, I thought Jane it was Burt Fonda? Reynolds. And it's terrible? It's a musical Western. Oh, my God, no, it's not. Are you serious? With Lee Marvin, but that's not Paint Your Wagon. It's no Paint Your Wagon. Is it? I right. have no it's idea. The, that, how could there possibly be more than one of those? Wow. wow. With Jane Fonda singing as a prostitute. Oh, my God. I'm, I... She made a lot of cool movies, mm-hmm. but I can't get into it. I think most people like it, and I'm I, I'm probably an asshole for putting it on. Have you guys, have either of you ever seen The Missouri Breaks? Yeah. Is that the one with Brando? Yeah, it's Brando where he just decided to oh, show up on set in a dress. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm wondering, if that, over. I'm wondering if that still works because I haven't seen that, geez, in 20 years. I don't know. hope it wins the raffle. <laughs> Shush. Uh, so for my over, simply because I, I didn't want to bother bracketing this, uh, I have a not terribly good Western that I actually kind of recommend. Oh, I thought uh, you were going to say Carrie. <laughs> Why would Carrie be an over? Because it's your everything. <laughs> well, Carrie is, is – all the Carries are actually better than, than Jane Got a Gun, I, I will say. It's uh, a prank gone wrong, just like The Shoe in the Creek is a prank gone wrong in Jane Got a Gun. <laughs> I'm not even – yeah, I guess you could think of it that way. Uh, <laughs> so my, my over is this Mads Mikkelsen Western. Uh, it's directed by a, a Danish director uh, named – I think it's something like Christian Levering or something. Um, and it's a, a, a Western called The Salvation. Uh, and it's similar to Jane Got a Gun in that there's terrible stuff that happens to the lead character, and there's a dastardly villain, and the lead character gets revenge against the villain, and there's an action sequence that, unlike the one in Jane Got a Gun, is actually kind of cool. Um, in The Salvation, there's this hint of a larger point that the director's making. Uh, there's lots of cool characters in it. You know, Mads Mikkelsen as a Danish immigrant in the American West uh, is, is really cool, and his brother is another character. Uh, Eva Green plays mm. a, a villainess who's had her tongue contact, cut out like she's mute. Um, the, the main villain, and I don't, I don't, this guy never works for me. The main gu- villain is a guy named Jeffrey Dean Morgan, mm. um, who always strikes me as. Is he the comedian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. the comedian in Watchmen, which actually That's is where I, I first met, I first sort of saw him in something. Um, but he always strikes me as someone who's filling in for someone else. Like the casting process got to the bottom of a list, and they're like, okay, we'll go with Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Um, so he plays the main super badass evil villain uh, in The Salvation. But the main point of The Salvation, it's a it's a weird, I think competently done revenge western, and uh, Mads Mikkelsen is just always watchable. So way, way better than Jane Got a Gun, but I'm using it as my over just because I couldn't care less about something that's slightly better than Jane Got a Gun. 
Hmm. So, Dingus, did you try to bracket this? What did you do with your over? I did not. I couldn't. Yeah, um, my mother. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I tried to bracket the bottom of it, but even in all fairness, I mean, Young Guns, if I watched the it again Spence. today, I would probably like it more than I like this silly thing. Maybe Young Guns 2, although the Bon Jovi song is super awesome. Um, maybe I would probably like it more. Wait, is that is that what's that? There's a Bon Jovi song that's the theme to Young Guns too. Yeah, it's Blaze of Glory. Is that a Bon Jovi song I know? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I could sing it for you, but I'm not going to. Uh, the over, I'm um, I'm just choosing because it doesn't take itself too seriously. Although it's way too long of a movie, I really do really like this movie quite a bit, and that's Silverado. Oh yeah. I'm a huge Silverado apologist. Um, but it's super long. I mean, that's its, that's its flaw. Oh, it's Way, good, though. Yeah, it's, lot, it's good. And, it, it. and it's got a fucking great Kevin Costner performance. Yeah. One of his early ones where he's just crazy weird. And Danny Glover's in it. And there's, I mean, Linda Hunt. John I mean, there's everybody's in John Cleese shows up. Um, Kevin Klein's hilarious. Kevin Klein's great. Everybody is is great in it. It just goes on way too long. But I still have a really warm place in my heart for Silverado. But when I when I struck on, well, gee, this movie takes itself too seriously, uh, but for no good reason. I mean, I mean, at least Unforgiven when it takes itself too seriously, there's a reason for that. Um, Jane got a gun. I mean, it just has nowhere to go, and and the bar is so high for westerns right now. Uh, is is Silverado like one of those Kevin Reynolds things that they do? No, that's Lawrence Kasdan. Oh, okay. Yeah, he did. He did one of the Star Wars movies. He wrote Empire. <laughs> At least one of them. Yeah, <laughs> including the last one. No, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your favorite? Uh, Tom's favorite Star Wars movie. You know, I actually like. I mean, he also directed Grand Canyon, I think, and I actually kind of like that movie. Oh, uh, that can't hold that. up, really. You like mm-hmm. that? I'm embarrassed to say it, but yeah, I really do kind of like that. Have you seen it like like recently or? Uh, oh no no no! It has. Okay. It's probably been a decade since I've seen it. In fact, this is weird thing that happened. The last time I saw it, I saw it on VHS. Um, and uh, there's this weird thing that happens, and I don't know why this happens, but the last shot of the movie, spoiler alert, is that the characters are all at the Grand Canyon, at the titular Grand Canyon, and and the and the shot shifts into this amazing panoramic. Uh, you know, not panoramic, but anamorphic, almost wide shot of the Grand Canyon to give you a, a sense of what what this thing is. But the the actual shot, the actual aspect ratio of the screen changed on the VHS, and I was like, "Whoa, what? Wait, what just happened?" Um, but I actually really like that movie. There's this great sequence where I think Danny Glover's a tow truck driver. And no, that's famous. I, I mean, yeah. he where he rescues Kevin Klein and talks yeah, yeah, about yeah. the gangsters. That's an awesome scene. But I, I, my theory, and I don't know for sure, Dingus, I'm guessing the rest of Grand Canyon probably plays out a little bit like a, an early version of Crash. I'm afraid you're probably right, yeah. But yeah, I love that scene. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like going fishing. <laughs> well, Kelly, <laughs> like bucket list. Kelly, what's something that you like better than uh, Jane Got a Gun? My over is Quick and the Dead, because it was... Uh... What I was thinking Jane Got a Gun was going to be. For right, me. like where Sharon Stone's like this cool Terminator yeah, gunfighter like, type chick, right? Russell Crowe was the first Russell Crowe movie. DiCaprio's in it. Yeah. Is Gene Hackman. Wait, it can't, It wasn't Russell Crowe's first movie. No. Uh, yeah. he, did a, he did an Australian movie called Romper Stomper where he yeah, plays a, a skinhead. That's probably way earlier. That probably predates Quick and the Dead. Well, I meant his first Hollywood movie. Okay. Which <laughs> is the only movie. kind of movie that counts. Right, his first movie anybody would have seen. Is that Sam Raimi? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
And they tried to fire him on it, and Sharon Stone got Sam Raimi. And and she fought for Crow, too. So Now, does that hold up, Kelly Wan? Do you know? Um, I call mine a six-shooter, because the first five are always blanks. One, two, three, not only that works. Oh, look, Kelly, one that's just gratuitous. What? <laughs> I mean, that's what I meant. Kelly, one. Did you see anything, Kelly Wand, in Jane Got a Gun that could be called the German? <laughs> Something that would come from Hamburg. The bottles? The telescope. Was it, wasn't it called the German yeah. Tomahawk Dingus? Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, you know, I got that part of the reference, but then I thought maybe somebody called something else the German in those. Matthew Fox's telescope, he referred to as the German, and there's <laughs> the point where uh, Richard Jenkins wants to use it, and Matthew Fox is like, okay, if you break it, are you going to go to Hamburg and get me a new one? Uh, so when the when the guy pulls out his little telescope and Jane got a gun, I was like, remember how good Bone Tomahawk was? Yeah. <laughs> That's be the name of this movie. It's great the payoff for that little telescope they get in this movie too. It's great. Wait, what is it? Because he takes it and uses it later? No. What's the payoff? There's no payoff. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, Dingus. That's the best payoff of all. <laughs> uh, all right, let's do a three by three. This is. Uh, I'm not sure what I was thinking. I'm not entirely sure how to phrase this. I I would have actually put it a three by three of scenes where people get wet, but who knows where that? I like Helen Lutz. Oh God, you can't say that to Kelly. Exactly right, Dingus. I didn't want to open that particular door and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, So basically, these are scenes where there is a metaphorical baptism or immersion of some sort, Um, and it has to be a metaphor because. You know, it can't just be Kellen Lutz dog paddling through the water in the Hercules movie. Uh, it needs to somehow suggest something. That's a metaphor, though. For what? Dog paddling? <laughs> He's a dog. Yeah. <laughs> if it's a metaphor for dog paddling, Kelly Wand, it's not a metaphor. He's actually the dog condition paddling. and the canine condition converging. <laughs> He's peeing at the same time. <laughs> so is that one of your picks? Are you trying to justify why that would it's be one that, of your It's Grown Ups, Grown Ups 2. <laughs> oh my god, Dingus, those are awesome! <laughs> the guy lands on David Spader and the frat boys are like, oh, he landed right on that old lady. That's a great fit from the trailer. It's James Spader, David Spade. God! <laughs> oh, thank you, Kelly One. <laughs> Get it right! Glad somebody knows that on this podcast. Fuck! Uh, let's see. Next week's three by three is uh, mine. Yes. So, Dingus, start us off with your third favorite. I'm just going to say baptism or immersion. I don't know how else to put it. All right. Um, well, that's that what I went for because uh, I had a, I have plenty of picks where somebody gets wet, uh, but I just I made sure these were all immersions. By the way, real quick, Dingus. Oh, you know what? Never mind. Because Kelly Sleep. might actually use this. Go ahead, Dingus. All right. Oh. So here's a quote from it. What's going on up there? Hmm. Here's another sure. quote from it. Give him the kick. What? Dunk him. Dodgeball? Give him Yellow the Yellow submarine. Give, Give him, him the, the kick. kick. Come on. Is this, a, is this a waterboarding scene? 
And now give him the kick. It's from Inception. Oh. See what he right. did. Oh, you want. So he from the first... Like- from the first sequence, uh, what they call it when they have to get somebody out of the dream state is giving him the kick, which means that he gets tilted over past a certain point. And in the first dream sequence, when or, or the first dream within a dream sequence, when they're in that weird hotel room in Indonesia or wherever they are, um, the, the, the moment that I really love as far as an immersion that feels like a baptism scene is that moment where they all realize, okay, this is all falling apart. Of course, we don't realize at that point, but we will realize that this is a dream within a dream. And they decide, okay, we're abandoning this. They give him the kick, and Leonardo's chair does this beautiful slow motion fall into a bathtub. And and it's that sort of, I don't know, I grew up in a, in a religion where when you get baptized, this kind of immersion happens, where you go into a tub in the back of the church, or, or actually not in the back of the church, in the front of the church, there's a there's this little vestibule area where there's an actual tub up there, and then the pastor stands there, and he dunks you down over, and he brings you out of the water, and there's this moment where Leonardo gets kicked out of his chair, he falls into the tub, his whole body goes underwater, and he comes up out of the water, face first, in that, in that way, and, and when Tom was talking about baptism and immersion this is really what i thought of and in that idea of this of baptism in you know the way i was raised in um as being sort of part of the i don't know how to put this um christianity rebirth kind of a thing him coming up for air out of the water man i just love that inception so i have a theory about our podcast and kelly Wan, don't don't ruin this for me I need you to tell me, Kelly Wand, uh, that you are into the uh, – there's a, a Christopher Nolan uh, remake of Insomnia. Do you know that movie? Uh, yeah. Do you like it? Please tell me that you're really into it. I like it. Okay, good. So we all have on this podcast a Christopher Nolan movie that we really like that the other two guys on the podcast don't like. Mine is Interstellar. Dingus is Inception. Kelly Wand, you get Insomnia. Wait, you don't like Insomnia? Not really. I like the original. It's a pointless remake of the original that misses right. some important points in the original. <clears throat> I like the log part. That part's good. Well, I used the the log part for our favorite underwater scenes. Oh, when he, so it's when just he swim, when he, But that's just a guy swimming under logs, and they're all like cronking up against each other with these huge boulder sounds of logs. Yeah, so you're stuck with insomnia, Kelly Wand. As you're, uh, you have to be the Christopher Nolan insomnia apologist. I'll, I'll field Interstellar thing is supposed to take care of Inception. Hmm. See the see the wide variety of opinions you get on, you get on this podcast. <laughs> Who's the Dark Knight Rises? All of us. Apologies. Oh wait wait oh Dark Knight Rises wait oh yeah none of please no but I wouldn't none of no we all know better than that yeah was that your Bane Kelly Wong? wow <laughs> I didn't even cover my mouth I couldn't tell if that was Bane or Darth Vader in the prequels see that's what he wants you to think Kelly Wong, what's your third favorite baptism or uh, immersion. My number three favorite baptism immersion thing in a movie is in, um, I'm not sure if this will get me in trouble or not. All right, I'm getting my pen ready. Let me fold the pad with the citations. Let me get this out. All right, go ahead. I hate to ruin the end of this movie, too, so I'll try to be as vague as oh, possible. Oh, okay, there might be trouble here. Go ahead. I've got my hand on my on the, my holster, that little thing that unsnaps. Nah, I'm going to change my three. <laughs> Wait a minute, hold on. I dissuaded him, Dingus. I backed him down. 
Yeah, it's too scary. Wait, what was it going to be? Well, no, actually, no. No, I might bump that up. All right. Okay, so my new number three is uh, the film, another Ewan McGregor movie called Train Spotting. When Ewan McGregor goes to the worst toilet in Scotland to get his stash out, and he has to like go all, he like sticks his arm in, and then he just crawls into the toilet completely, and he's like covered in poo. It's like a dream sequence thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and it's a that's metaphor, metaphor for being a heroin addict. Yeah. <laughs> and then, oh, that's, a, that's yeah. not the one you thought you were going to get in trouble for, though. No. Oh, because that's actually no, that's a very good one, Kelly. One yeah, I like yeah. that. Yeah, I'm going to get in trouble later. Because normally like, we think of water as like like pristine, and baptism washes away sin. Like the water is supposed to be a thing that cleans you or absolves you, and and this is like the muck, and he gets mired in it. Kelly, one that's a great right. pick. See, yeah. I'm going to need this goodwill soon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Take note of that. Uh, you right. guys goodwill hunt me down. <laughs> My number three, um, and I was going to do a gimmick with mine, but I backed off just because I have some other ones that are really good that I want to talk about. But my number three, um, in the movie Birth, uh, there is a point, there's, a, there's kind of a, an mm. infamous scene where people complain about a young actor named Cameron Bright being naked in a bathtub with uh, Nicole Kidman. Um and and you know that's that's like inappropriate and but whatever it's, it's, it's yeah it's hugely important to the movie it is um and there's a point in the movie where he's been out in in Central Park and he's all dirty and he he's hmm. scuffed up and and he goes back uh and Nicole Kidman is like is like washing him um and it's a crucial point in the movie where he has made a decision that's not going to make her happy uh it's a very important decision um to basically uh break her heart. And, and devastate her. And, uh, and why are you laughing at that? Kelly Wong, that's not funny. Oh my God. Why are you no, laughing? just you doing contortions to not be spoilery. Right, right, right. See the movie and pretend that <laughs> you don't remember what I'm talking about. And then when you see it, uh, just tune out what I said that made you want to see it. And then listen well, anyway, to here, I'll put it like this. He basically at some point wants to shed himself of an identity. Uh, and, and when he does that, he then immerses himself under the tub, uh, and she ends up like pulling him out of the water. Uh, but it's very symbolic. He's, he's being washed off because he's dirty, but more importantly, he's wanting to shed an identity that, uh, right. she believes he, he is her reincarnated husband. Um, I just love she that moment. And she doesn't get it. And yeah, we, Dingus and I have had many disagreements with people about like the, the central, uh, fact of birth. And, you know, is it actually about reincarnation? Spoiler, yes. Uh, or is it just a <laughs> metaphor? Um, so the gimmick I was going to do was having uh, all three of my picks being all three Jonathan Glazer movies. Uh, I'm interested to hear that because I was about to make an under the skin joke. But, um, well, that, yeah, yeah. Part. Like it's the trapped man and under the skin. It's like a baptism. Like that's sort of the, the central, sexy beast. The central point of sexy beast is the, the heist. Where you know it starts with Ray Winstone floating right, around the right. pool, then the heist is him being fully immersed in that world, and eventually he gets out, and it is. Um, well, the rock gets baptized. At the beginning. Well, the, the rock is actually clearing the way for Don. Uh, Don, right. Don, yeah, uh, and he ends up under the water. Um, so yeah, I think the fact that the mm. the the heist and sexy beast is an is a scuba thing isn't just a cool visual. Uh, it's actually part of this metaphor of Ray Winstone being pulled back into this uh, the, the world of of crime and this life he's trying to escape. Right, right, right. 
so, but my favorite Jonathan Glazer uh, baptism scene is is absolutely from Birth. Uh, and you know, it's amazing to me that he has done like th- those three movies that are that different. Because um, mm-hmm. I was thinking of Birth, and I was like, oh yeah, there's something under the skin. Like, what is this other movie? Oh yeah, even Sexy Beast. Um, so, all right. So Birth is my number three pick. Dingus, what is your second favorite baptism or immersion? All right, well, mine is very much akin to what yours is, mm-hmm. your birth one, and very much along the same lines of movie making, but because it, it, it involves immersion as a change of, I don't know how you put it, a change of identity? Uh, is that how you put it, Tom? Yeah, yeah, because uh, he says, I'm not Sean. Yeah, that, uh, that's uh, Cameron Bright. Uh, he, he sheds an identity. Okay, good. Here's, here's a quote from it. When it starts, whatever your reason is for doing this, focus on that. Maybe it will help. Again, it sounds like a waterboarding scene. Uh, it's not exactly. Um, it is <laughs> the from... Of, what? He gets boarded. I was just laughing if Tom was right. Like They give him it like, hey, don't worry, this will be okay. Just focus on something. <laughs> like, they kind of give him a pep talk before the walk. <laughs> this will be a little annoying, but... Just hang in there. Side. Yeah, hang in don't there. Don't answer any of the questions. Just yeah. hang in there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Focus on your family. <laughs> uh, no, this is from a movie called X-Men's, X-Men Origins Wolverine. What? Uh, which I watched recently uh, for reloading. It's not shitty. It's by Gavin Wait, Hood. How dare you? Okay, I, I'm, that's what, I'm, there's the other Wolverine movie. No, wait, this is the one I haven't seen, right, Dingus? You probably haven't. Yeah, we uh, liked the other Wolverine movie. No, you guys liked it. I didn't. I li- I, re- I actually really like this. It's as ridiculous as, as it sounds. It's, it's, you like the one where he jumps on the helicopter more? It's kind of a shitty movie, but I, I really kind of like it. And, you know, and part you of it is because – what would you say? You didn't like the other Wolverine movie? Uh, the one that we saw with the 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 the, the uh, big sa- samurai dude. Yeah. That, yeah, and yeah, I didn't care for that. I, that was good. I famously got mad at that movie because the rest of the X-Men don't show up and everybody told me right. I watched it wrong, you know. That yeah. But X-Men Origins Wolverine, uh, as crappy a movie he as it is. He does call the X-Men. I really, do, I really do like it quite a bit. Um, but this is the movie that actually shows uh, that sequence where he gets put down in the tank by Danny Houston. Danny Houston's character who makes a deal with him saying – you know, this is this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bond adamantine to your skeleton, to your skeleton, and um, uh, you're the only one that can do this. Um, so here we go. And and Wolverine wants to get revenge, so he agrees to do this. Uh, and that, this moment that I'm referencing in my quote is the moment right before he goes down into the tank, where she says to him, you know, when it starts, whatever your reason for doing this, is focus on that. And he goes, oh, well, I've been through worse. And, and she does this great line where she goes, no, you haven't. Um, and then the shot is from overhead. Um, and you, you see him being immersed in that tank. Uh, and then you have this long sequence where, you know, Danny Houston talks about the fact that he cannot be anesthetized because it doesn't work on him and why they did it with him. And eventually, after all the adamant has been put into his skeleton. His heart rate goes so high that it flatlines and they think he's died. Of course, him being Wolverine eventually comes back and then he emerges from the tank, this new creature. But before he goes down, and this is why, partly I was joking, Tom, uh, when I talked about uh, equating it to your pick with birth, but right before he goes down into the tank, he says, I want to, he basically says he wants a new 
pair of dog tags and he wants the name Wolverine put on them. So he's going down into the tank, but he's coming, he's emerging as the Wolverine. That's when he emerges as this new identity, this new character, and his memory has been, is, is being wiped as well. Is all this canon? In the comics, he kills all those people at the facility, which they didn't do in the movie, which was, I thought, going to be the whole point of the movie. But wait, does this go in with, with, does this go in with the other movie where he was in World War II? Like, how does that work? Well, yeah, well, actually, this, the, the way it works is that, uh, Danny Houston's character is the guy who was, it was actually Vietnam where he was leading all of these guys through all of these conflicts and, 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 shepherding all these soldiers and then creating this this force of mutants but collecting their dna in order to create weapon x which he said was wolverine but he really then wanted to harvest wolverine's dna to make weapon 11 which would be ryan reynolds character uh honey i'll handle this um you see in world war ii logan's skull was still bone not adamantium yet but he still had his healing factor but he had like the bone claws and oh, right, right, right. The adamantium came later, and that's what Dingus is referring to. The right, but X. you can't merge the comics and the movies. I'm talking about a movie here. So you can talk about but comics that's also, and all you want. Dingus, what he's saying is, because I remember he had different claws. Right. Like, that yeah. is, but, like, the movies did try to honor that. Is it he was a superhuman yeah. guy with, like, yeah, the 70s. Yeah, yeah, and, and okay. right, before, right before this happens, his claws have been sheared off by his brother at the train tracks. His brother? Who's his brother? Saber. Saber tooth. Played by... We have Shrine. Uh, yeah. There you go. See, actually, yeah. Kelly Wan, he's making me want to see the movie, so... Uh, joke's on you. <laughs> anyway, uh, he emerges from the tank in that classic way, and he's being reborn as Wolverine at this moment. Uh, so he's he's been immersed in the water, he deals with that whole thing, and then he, he bursts out of the water. Thing is, why should we, who who is Gavin Hood? Why do I know that name? I'm seeing Gavin O'Connor from the movie. Who's you Gavin? know Gavin Hood from a little movie called Ender's Game? Ew. See? Now I don't want to see one. Anything else? Can you do better than that, Dingus? I cannot. Ouch. Dingus, wow. See, there's a Cameron Bright connection. <laughs> what's, what's the Cameron Bright connection? Are you thinking From Cameron? Birth. birth and Ender's Game. Cameron Bright wasn't in Ender's Game, was he? Yeah, he was. He was Ender. No. Oh, God, you're, oh Kelly wanted to. He's a Butterfield. He's a Butterfield or something. Yeah. yeah. Kevin Whatever Bright was in the uh, he was in the Ratner. Uh, he was in X Men. No, he was in the uh, the Ratner X Men. He was in X Men Three. That's what Ugh. I'm saying. He was an X Man. He was an X Man, a mutant guy with powers, right? Like, wasn't he? Right. He was Leech, I think. Ew. <laughs> That's a terrible X Man to be. <laughs> well, he could take he, because he he takes the powers away from other X Men. No, like, that's Rogue. Like when Beast comes near him, Beast's hand becomes a real hand. Thing is, if we're all X Men, you uh, have to be uh, you have to be Slug. <laughs> I want to be Needle Dick. <laughs> wow. Well, Kelly, what you can be is the guy who tells me his number two pick for uh, a baptism or immersion. What? What a transition! <laughs> Fuck. All right. To keep it fun, you have to explain the metaphor of my choice. Wait a minute. That's your no, job. No. Yeah, yeah. What? All right. We'll see if we can. Uh, is, it, is this where you're worried about getting in trouble? No, this is another this, easy one. This is such a great contest, so now I don't have to think about my three-way threes anymore. <laughs> I'll just make it a contest for you guys to explain them. Right, throw out a pick and then see if somebody can justify it. Well, no, because Tom did my number three, but he did it faster and better than I would have done it. So, Oh, you were going to choose birth? No. 
God. Oh, train spotting. David right. Spader. I did you. Ah. Right. All right. All right. So what's your number two? I'll see if I can help you talk. I'll try to talk you through it. Go ahead. I'm going to do a quote. That wasn't the quote, by the way. Um, your body will remember. Ah, oh, come on, Dingus. I'm a, why are you going to? I'm kind of okay with this one. What's well, is it, the, is it the rat or is it her? Yeah, it's not it's, the rat. I hope you're not doing the rat, Kelly Wand. It's Ed Harris. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, which immersion are you talking about? Well, he could be Ed Harris. Like, what the rat gets subjected to is what Ed Harris gets subjected to. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantoni actually drowns. Right, right. So you're picking Ed Harris getting, like, tanked up in that suit. Well, because they give him that stuff, that, uh, the water oxygen to breathe. Right. But then they give it to him so then he can go get really submerged by the ocean. So it's a double submergence. And it is a, a metaphor, metaphor for, for stuff uh, that James Cameron wrote when he was 14. Yeah, and dog paddle. <laughs> but she's the one who really gets immersed, and so does the rat. He doesn't, I mean... Yeah, but her identity doesn't... Like your helmet filled with water isn't really an immersion, is it? Uh, uh, I would say, I mean, it's a it's a very close immersion. It's not a very big... He has to breathe it, too. Uh, so what's more immersive than that? I, I think Kelly wanted silly to pick that over the awesome thing with Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio. Like, that's... Yeah. The, that, the abyss is basically a support structure for that one cool scene. Right. No, because she's just drowning. It's not like she's choosing to be immersed. Or she is, though. She is. But that's yeah. just drowning. That's the scenes. point of the scene is her choosing <laughs> no, to be drowned. Willingly, he's being immersed in the... You guys are crazy. She's so. choosing to be drowned because she trusts him to save her, which is, an, which is a huge symbol about Christianity. Fine, her. Wow, Dingus made it a Christian metaphor. How about that, Kelly Wand? That's because they're all Christian metaphors. You should ask him. Baptism? This whole thing's fucking loaded dice. You heard me. (laughs) I said it. Loaded dice baptisms. That's what this topic should be called. All right, this one... My next one is not Christian. This is not a Christian uh, immersion. Um, It's actually the opening of the movie. Uh, So you could say this immersion begins... uh, Is it in situ? How do you say that that phrase? uh, In media ref? Oh, oh, no, no, you're right. Oh, what is in situ? In, it has something else. In media rest, right. So the, the, the immersion is already underway. Uh, and this movie opens. You're not sure what you're looking at. Uh, and it, the, the, the picture resolves and you end up, you're seeing bubbles underwater and there's this whooshing sound. And then in that whooshing, it gets louder and louder and it builds and you hear, you, you maybe think you might hear actually people screaming and it gets super loud and then it cuts to, the absolutely gorgeous Emmanuel Baird uh, emerging from the surf in the ocean. Uh, and it's the opening shot of a movie, which I watched again, which I – oh, it's so good. A movie called Vinyan um, about a couple in <laughs> – Kelly Wad, why are you laughing at me? Damn, that's oh a God. great choice. This has come up in a while. It's your go-to movie. I didn't even all. think about that. That's fucking great. Kelly Wad, have you, have you still never seen Vinyan? Because it's totally no. a Kelly movie. It's totally a Kelly Wad. All right, I'll watch it. It uh-huh. sounds good. It's got girls come out of water. It's usually my own. Well, the thing is, she's basically the – I mean, she's incredibly hot. She's in a bikini. She is this – just this sort of – this personification of, like, hot sexual femininity, but – She's a grieving mother. I mean, it's it's right. it's all about her loss as a mother, um, and uh, you know, it's a, it's a movie about madness, basically. 
Um, mm. And it's paralleled with this uh, journey into the jungle, this very Joseph Conrad type heart of darkness thing. Uh, but it's all driven by the madness of this this woman, this mother who has lost her her motherhood. Um, right, right. Uh, and it's hugely, by the way, th- that stupid movie The Impossible, which has a great tsunami scene with uh, Naomi Watts and Tom Holland. Um, it's a great action scene, but it ends up being one of those. Really, really annoying movies about how white people shouldn't have to deal with the tragedy that brown people deal with when there are natural disasters in third world co- countries. Um, that horrible movie, No Escape, that uh, – is that Eli Roth? I forgot who did it, but I think it was Eli Roth. Um, really? Was it Eli Roth? He did No Escape? Not No Escape. Wow. But it's, the thing, it's the thing where uh, Owen Wilson and uh, Lake Bell are in some unspecified Asian country and there's a coup going uh-huh. on. Is that called No Escape, Dingus, or did I... I thought No Escape was the Ray Liotta weird prison movie, but it maybe be, you're right. Maybe you're it's, right. A, it's a terrible movie about how uh, white people, when there's a coup in this third world country, they really shouldn't be... Uh, you know, The terrible things shouldn't be visited on them, and they should get out of there. Uh, oh, it is called No Escape, because I remember there is an escape. Spoiler. It ends with them escaping. Uh, it's a terrible name for that movie. Um, but it's like Everest. Like, they went there by choice. You know what I mean? Well, imagine no Everest. Well, exactly. But imagine if in Everest only Sherpas died and all the white tourists got out and everything was fine. Which is kind of what does happen, doesn't it? No, uh, no. Uh, it's 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 what happens in movies that don't want to scare you or freak you out too much. And and the Impossible right. is like the Impossible is trying to be this life affirming story about, hey, there's this terrible tsunami that killed. Is something like like what like seven hundred thousand people? I mean, it's huge casualty rate. Um, and here's we're going to tell you a story about this white family that got out alive even though they were separated for a long time. Right, right, right. Um, which is kind of I mean, who cares? I mean, that's that's yeah. great. This woman got her child back, but it pales in comparison to all the people that didn't get their children back. And what's amazing about Vinyan, uh, it, it's by this this director who is arguably a horror director. Vinyan is very much a horror movie, um, and it's the opposite of that point. Um, is it just because you're white and privileged? Uh, and happen to be vacationing in Thailand when the tsunami hits, y- you know, you are not spared from the terrible things that happen in the world because you're white and privileged. Uh, and I love how Vinyan is, is very much about that. But anyway, it opens with an immersion. Um, you're not sure that's what you're looking at until she comes out of the water uh, in this spectacular fashion. I mean, she looks amazing. Um, and she's actually really good in it. And you know who else is really good in it? Uh, man, Rufus Sewell is so good in Vinyan. He so is, yeah. Yeah, he's really great in that. Yeah, why do I not appreciate how good he is? Because just watching Vinyan again this week. Because uh, he's ageless, so you take him for granted. He's like Age of Adeline. Isn't he from Dark City? Dingus mentioned Dark City today. Is, is yeah. Rufus Sewell in that? I think so, yeah. I always get him confused with whoever was supposed to be Aragorn at first. Oh, Stuart Townsend? Really? Stuart Townsend, yeah. I, always get, I don't know, because their names have this weird structure in my head. Right, so, yeah, well, yeah, I think they're sort of very proper English. Well, I don't know. That thing, The Impossible, whenever you talk about that, it always reminds me of how I felt about Hereafter, which was... Oh, another tsunami movie, right. Yeah, right. tsunami yes. movie directed by Clint Eastwood that drove me up the freaking but, wall. But Dingus, Dingus written by Peter Morgan. Oh, I forget that. Every time I forget that. <laughs> and Damon. Why do you always have to bring that up? Every time I bring up how much I hate Hereafter, you bring up he's, Peter Morgan. He's the one who wrote it. It's his fault. Yeah. <sighs> All right, Kelly, I still I can't believe you still haven't seen Vinyan. You're in so much trouble. I don't see movies without an yes. apostrophe on the end. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just say the whole word. Vinyan. 
Kelly or Dingus, uh, what is your number three or number? I'm oh, sorry, your favorite immersion or baptism in a movie? All right, this is super easy. All right, um, here's a quote from it. Well, let's be sure. Let's see if she's in hell. Oh, oh, God, Dingus, that's a great one. Kelly, one, do you know that one? The core. Actually, maybe, <laughs> maybe I've got it wrong. Does it involve a bathtub? Yeah, eventually it involves a. It eventually involves a bathtub, and what's your favorite line from the, the bathtub? line, yeah, I'm thinking. Constantine. I'm thinking, very good. Yeah, Constantine. Um, this is easily my favorite. Oh, dude, uh, this is great. What I forgot was that it also involves, and this is where I was sort of griefing Kelly Wanda a little bit on the helmet filling with water thing, is that there's a first immersion with just his feet in a uh, in a pot of water. Um, because, you know, water is a conduit between worlds well, yeah um and he puts his feet with his shoes on and even when she gets in the bathtub she's still wearing her <laughs> shoes and what i love about these two scenes is that i never want my shoes to get wet because they take forever to dry for, so for the rest of the movie they're walking around in wet shoes but um but there's this great moment and i had missed this before um where you know he's he you know he's she's asked him to figure out whether or not her sister has committed suicide and he goes and gets a bunch of the the um, uh, artifacts of her sisters, things of her sisters. And then this cat comes up and he goes, is this cat hers? And she goes, yeah, the cat's name is Duck. <laughs> and I love that because uh, because my son has a cat named Monkey. Um, so I love that there's this cat named Duck. And he, and he sits down. She gets this pot of water. He puts his feet in this pot of water. So he immerses his feet in this pot of water in order to make a trip to hell to find out if her sister is there. And then he looks at this cat, who looks very much like uh, uh, my son's cat, uh, Monkey. Um, he looks at this cat in the cat's eyes, and he goes, oh, I hate this part. Um, but, the, but the really great baptism immersion scene is when Rachel Weiss goes into the bathtub in her clothes, and, and he tells her that you have to be totally submerged. And she says, well, for how long? And he looks at her and he goes, as long as it takes. And then she goes down under the water. He puts his hand on her chest and you see like the little bubbles come out of her nose for a little bit. And you see her eyes change and look at him like, uh, okay, this isn't working. I'm done with this. And what you realize, because they don't do Francis Lawrence who directed this doesn't do this. You know, when Constantine goes with the cat, you know, after putting his feet in the in the pot, you see the whole sequence. You see that whole thing go on. That's his reality. When she's doing this in the bathtub, you don't flash to any special effects sequence to find out what she's going through. Um, so for all you know, he's just drowning <laughs> um, until she until she finally flails around and you know doesn't always go up out doesn't only go up out of the tub like my earlier picks of you know the Wolverine. Uh, or of uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's Inception, she breaks the tub. Right, she yeah. smashes the tub, and the water flows out of the floor, and she spills out on like a fish, like falling out onto the onto the pavement or something. And and then she reveals, oh my God, all the things I saw. She was right. She was right. She was right. I mean, this is great moment of of her coming, not coming into a new identity necessarily, but coming back to herself because she's denied herself for all of this time. Uh, you know, she 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 abandoned her twin in order to have a healthy, quote unquote, mentally healthy life. And then she breaks out of that and she comes she actually is born back to herself. Uh, so it's Constantine. 
Kelly Wand, you're going to have a tough uh, a tough time topping that. When? <laughs> right now, Kelly Wand. What is your <laughs> favorite uh, baptism or immersion? All right, this is one I'm probably going to get in trouble for. All right. My number one is in the movie Miracle Mile at the end. They're like in the helicopter, and it's crashing and sinking into the La Brea tar pits. Why would you think you would be in trouble for that? It's a good yeah. pick. Why would you be in trouble? I don't know. It says it's like a baptism. You know, Kelly Wand? No, Kelly Wand, you're in trouble for thinking you're in trouble. Yeah. See? (sighs) (laughs) That's a great pick. Because it's like a death baptism. Because he's kind of like... Well, it's an immersion. I mean, baptism... immersion. Yeah, no, I mean, it's their their end, it's their doom, at least they're together. Uh, No, that's a great moment. I mean, it's them being dunked into the La Brea Tar Pits. I mean, this movie is all about Miracle Mile, and where else could you drown in Miracle Mile than yeah. the La Brea Tar Pits? Uh, yeah. yeah, those are your options. Yeah. And he kind of spins it in their final moments, like, hey, it's going to be awesome when our bones are found. And she's kind of like, uh... Right, right. Yeah. Say different words, please. Like, she's kind of, <laughs> like, but, I don't uh, understand why you think you would get in trouble for that. That's I don't know, because it's tar, or it's supposed to be tar. It's yeah, but no one said baptism or immersion in water, for right. instance. Like that stuff that the dudes are in, in, in uh, under the skin, that's not water, is it? Right. And that counts. You could have chosen yeah, photon milk for all we can. That was yeah. great. I, don't even, I can't even imagine why you picked that. That's awesome. I can't imagine why you thought of that. That's amazing. Oh. All right, Kelly, I'm sorry to tell you you're not in trouble. Fuck! I know, right? It's Spader! Fuck! <laughs> Alright, here's my favorite immersion. Uh, no, this is gonna be such a specific pick. Controversial. Not controversial. You guys are probably just gonna shrug and go, yeah, I guess that was good. Um, <laughs> man, I love Krzysztof Kierslowski's movies. Uh, the, actually, I only know the three colors ones, red, white, and blue. And then he's got a series that I think was for Polish TV called Ten Commandments. Um, uh, that, so that's all that I know of, of what he's done. Uh, but man, I love Blue. Blue is so good, and Juliette Binoche is so good in it. Um, oh, that's good. I like this. And and so similar, actually, to Vinyan. I mean, it's it's about a grieving mother uh, and wife. Um, uh, so Blue, of course, is uh, Kierslowski. I'm not sure. Dingus, you're you're Polish. How do you say his name? Kierslowski. Kierslowski. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I'm, you know, I practice saying your name a lot, and I've gotten really good at it. So Kierslowski, yeah. I'll work on that one as well. Um, so uh, you know, it, it's a, it's thematic, and it, it's not gratuitous. It works. There's all these like uh, blue motifs in in the movie, um, and one of them. Oh, by the way, I'm so mad at this. Also, there's a moment in Blue. So so Blue is about her grieving, and there are moments where she is literally stopped in the middle of doing something. By just remembering her husband and, and her, her daughter, uh, and the movie just has her freeze. And her husband was a famous composer who was working on a symphonic piece, and she just freezes. And Kislovsky, Kislovsky brings up this great symphonic uh, soundtrack, and it's like going on in her head. Um, there's a great moment in the movie where she gets locked out of her apartment uh, one night, and she's sitting on the stairs of the apartment building. Uh, she can't get in until morning when the landlord gets back, and she closes her eyes and remembers her husband, and that music comes up, 
and there is blue lens flare that he has intentionally put. I mean, this is as intentional as anything that J.J. Abrams CG'd into a Star Trek movie. Uh, but when her eyes close, the blue lens flare appears. When she opens them and snaps out of it, it goes away. When she closes them again, the lens flare comes up. I'm so mad I didn't find that in time for our lens flare three by three. But so uh, of all the uh, – one of the blue motifs in blue – if you listen to – there's a Criterion version of the the movies, and on the Criterion version is a Juliette Binoche commentary. And she talks about how one of the things this woman would do to process her grief was some sort of exercise. And when they had the script and they were working on the movie, it was just her running, like she was supposed to be a runner. And at some point, they decided, wait, why don't we make her a swimmer, and that way there can be the blue motif. And it looks almost like – like it's so obvious when you see it, her in the blue pool water uh, at night, uh, and there are a couple of scenes where she is swimming and she just kind of tries to disappear in the water. Uh, one of them, she curls up in the fetal position and just floats face down. There's another great shot where she dives into the water, and then the camera does a 360-degree spin around the top of the, the pool, and she's nowhere to be seen as if she's disappeared, but then she finally bursts up from, from beneath the frame. Uh, gasping. So all of the swimming stuff in blue uh, as a rite of passage from grief to where she gets to at the end of the movie. Uh, I just love the visual of that. Um, and yeah, Juliette Binoche. Man, she's so awesome. Yeah, she is. Kelly Wan, it's not a sexual thing, necessarily. Oh, uh, well, neither was that. <laughs> I just say that for acting. Kelly's just mowing the lawn right now. Yeah. Uh, All right, the listeners for immersion scenes, Grant Stewart writes, uh, he refers to his list as of the Keanu, for the Keanu, by the Keanu. Uh The near drowning of Johnny Utah in his inaugural (laughs) attempt at surfing allows him to introduce himself to Lori Petty, who looks super cute in her wetsuit. By the way, just uh, does, do you guys agree, Lori Petty, she looks like, she was never cute, right? You guys thought Lori uh, Petty was cute in Point Break? Yeah. No. Really? Okay, yeah. I'm with you, Kelly Wand. I don't give people who thought she was cute. Mingus? She's a nice lady. Sure Wait a minute. Cute. She's a nice lady? Is that what you said? Well, you know, like Frances Sternhagen. <laughs> Frances Sternhagen is hotter than Lori Petty. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sorry, Frances Sternhagen. <laughs> like her bandaging up... I totally hit. When she's bandaging up Sean Connery in, in Outland. Outland, yeah, I would have hit that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's feisty. She's spitfire. Uh, so Grant Stewart continues. As an aside, I like to imagine Lori Petty's character in Free Willy is simply her in hiding after the tragedies of Point Break. Uh, Grant writes, this is Johnny's baptism as a surfer. And one of the touches I really liked about the movie is at the end when he confronts Bodhi and he asks if he's still surfing, he responds, every day. Grant says he's really not looking forward to the remake of this. Oh. That's the Sixth Sense line, too. So that is of the Keanu. For the Keanu, Grant writes, Thomas Anderson wakes up in a strange futuristic dystopia, suspended high up in a pot of pink goo. Oh, nice. That I can only imagine is my leftover supply of wet-look hair gel from 88. (laughs) Is this feeling Minnesota? He is no longer Thomas Anderson, however. He is now Neo. Grant doesn't even point out that it's Matrix because he's assuming you would know Kelly Wand. I've only seen the third one. God. And then by the Keanu, it is Constantine drowning Rachel Weiss in a bathtub. Uh, 
He says his runner-up is the cyborg dolphin with a heroin addiction in Johnny Mnemonic, but it wasn't much of a baptism. It's a dolphin in a tank. That's mm, of the Keanu? Uh, no, no. So uh, of the Keanu was Point Break. For okay. the Keanu, uh, Matrix. By the Keanu, Constantine. So this I've only be, seen the second speed. So Johnny Mnemonic would be in lieu of? It would be sort of like a... Uh, yeah, I guess you could do that. Because it's not actually Keanu Reeves is getting submersed, right? Ah. It's a dolphin. Submersed. Yeah, in lieu of. Yeah. He, he makes it a kind of a Trinity thing, which is very religious. Trinity. Paul Weimer, <laughs> Paul Weimer writes, uh, time, to uh. Get, time to get dunking on my picks for this topic. In Casino Royale. Tom did a transition, I did a transition. I like this one a lot. In Casino Royale, Daniel Craig's emergence from the sea in homage of Ursula Andresen and Dr. No also works as a way to mark the 007 franchise as being reborn again. In the person of the newest Bond, especially since he had just been dressed down by M for not being a good agent. Get it? He emerges from the sea and into the main plot as a reborn agent. Yeah, who's an agent? I do like that. <laughs> That's what he's saying with his penis in that shot. Uh, huh. Huh. In, in Jacob's Ladder, the titular Jacob, played by Tim Robbins, is immersed, immersed oh, in, a bathtub, in a bath full of ice to try and bring his deadly raging fever down and bring him back to the world. During that illness, he was slipping toward heaven and the true state of affairs, spoiler, Paul, uh, at that point. The ice bath that cures him also causes him to be thus reborn into the false reality he spends the rest of the movie discovering. Wait, oh. the false reality is the ice cubes, though, because it's his crazy wife. Um... No, the ice, the ice bath that cures him causes him to be reborn into the false reality where he spends the rest of his movie, of the movie. Uh, the movie's the false reality. Him getting fever and dying would put him in the true reality of him being a soldier in Vietnam who got killed. Hmm. The ice bath shocks him back into the fake reality where he's just a dude who has a fever. But that's – the ice bath's also a fake reality, isn't it? Right. Okay. Kelly, want to think you – Shock from one fake reality to a different fake reality. You know, you're going to have to talk to Paul Weimer about – I understood Paul Weimer just because you don't. Kelly Wan, I can't help you. I can draw this on a map. Here's one for you, Kelly Wan, that you're going to... I can't say it. Here's one that you're going to go, I bet I bet you're going to go, Kelly Wan, oh, that's a good one. All right, so get, get primed. Here we go, Kelly Wan. That does sound In Altered States, Edward oh. Jessup's emergence from the isolation tank... Mm. It, oh, actually, oh, Paul, what a boner. Ouch. I'll get oh. to that in a minute. Uh, in Altered States, Edward Jessup's emergence from the isolation tank in his newly minted primitive ape-man state is clearly a rebirth into an older, more primal form. Jessup has indeed been reborn, and not for the better. So sometimes somebody will write like a character's name and then parenthesis who played the character. Uh, John Paul Weimer. Yeah, Paul Weimer writes, Edward Jessup, parenthesis, John Hurt. Whoa. Oh, no. <laughs> Wow. Sorry, William Hurt. Enjoy your time on Alien. <laughs> That's a different... That The Alien was submerged in spaghetti for a minute. Wow. Jaime Cabrera writes... That was Rob Schneider. 
Number three, Predator. Arnold is submerged twice in the movie. The first time, he's running from the Predator, <laughs> dives over a waterfall, and emerges in the mud. He can't be seen by Predator and begins to formulate a plan. I like that's Predator's name. <laughs> he actually did write that Predator. I, 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 oh. Uh, and begins to formulate a plan to take control of the situation. The second time he falls in the water, the mud washes off him, and his control begins to unravel along with his plan. I do nice to see me. Yeah. Kelly didn't understand it because it wasn't called Der Predator. <laughs> uh, number Oh, here's another good one. Jaime writes, The Bourne Identity. Jason Bourne is pulled from the ocean and is essentially a blank slate. Yeah. You also get the it same was. type of symbolism in The Bourne Supremacy when his SUV falls off a bridge in the first chase in the movie because Bourne emerges as an avenging force instead of someone on the run. Very nice, Jaime. Uh, and then again in Born Ultimatum when he jumps off the building into the river at the end and you think he's dead. But he just comes back as Jeremy Renner. I've only seen the Born Legacy. Is that a real one? Is that a book? Renner, Jeremy Renner one. Oh, oh, right, right, right. I forgot it was called that, right. God! Jaime Cabrera's number one pick, Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, Jaime title, Wright, I prefer. Jaime writes that he refuses to call it Live, Die, Repeat. See? Stick to your guns, Jaime. Uh, yeah. Spoiler alert. In the final battle of the movie, Tom Cruise sinks in the water, having successfully killed the Omega. The Omega's blood covers him as he dies, and he's uh. transported to the very beginning of the movie. Loved this movie and this moment. Didn't think of it as a figure to baptism until the topic was presented. Hopefully you all agree. I totally agree. That's a yeah. great idea. The whole blood thing, I totally forgot. That's a great idea. I agree with Dingus that it's a great idea. <laughs> Runners up. Blade. From the listeners? Blade. Stephen Dorff fulfills a prophecy by using the blood of the Daywalker to resurrect an ancient vampire. He literally becomes this other vampire. Someone asks Deke, and he replies, not anymore. I also love the imagery of a single drop of blood falling from the ceiling onto his forehead. Not immersion, so it's a runner-up. Uh, and then, oh, this is a cute one. Gremlins. Stripe emerges from a pool as, a hun- as hundreds of gremlins. Not the rebirth of an individual, but an entire species. Mm. I'll take that. Arthur, okay, I'm going to try this. Giovanangeli? Hmm. I think that's the only time I've said it correctly. Giovanangeli. Writes number three, Inception. Fisher and the van full of thieves crashes into the water. Dingus, not (laughs) the one you were thinking of. Yeah, that's a better one, I think. This provides the kick they need to awaken and is almost simultaneous with Fisher opening the safe and discovering the pinwheel. Fisher emerges from the water with a new perspective on how to handle his inheritance, purging him of his old preconceptions, leaving him free to be his own man. Hmm. Uh, Here's a different Casino Royale one. James Bond dives into the waters of Venice in an attempt to save Vesper Lynn, who is trapped inside an elevator in a sinking building. I like that. Yeah. Bond is unsuccessful. Ouch. And when he surfaces, he is literally dragging the body of his former lover with him. The bond that dives into the water is much different than the one that comes out. He's been hardened by Vesper's death, shaped into the blunt instrument that MI6 wants him to be. Who is Vesper Lynn? Eva Green. Eva oh. Green. Oh, that's sad. Oh, oh here's yeah. another good one. Man, what? It's All a right, good I'm topic. Gonna, I'm going to give you guys a test. What, besides Inception, what obvious, awesome, full immersion from Christopher Nolan's body of work did we completely miss? And maybe you guys have it as a runner-up. I completely spaced on it. 
Anything? Any space to clue that it's interstellar? Nope. Something Although in interstellar has some. I mean, interstellar has the. Yeah, that, doesn't, that doesn't really count. Uh, nope. Full immersion. You actually see it. It's a key part of the movie. I'm going to give you an actor's name. Hugh Jackman. Oh, Prestige. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So Arthur Giovannangeli writes, After his wife is drowned in a stage accident, Robert Angier is told by Cutter that drowning is like going home. So he tries to drown himself in a sink. He is unsuccessful in his attempt, but does emerge from the sink as a changed man. No longer an enthusiastic stage apprentice, Angier, 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 hungers for revenge against Borden, attempting to kill him through sabotage and stealing his tricks. The water doesn't take his life. It gives him renewed purpose and a very sinister edge that wasn't present before. Wait, I thought I thought uh, Arthur was going to talk about, like, doesn't Hugh Jackman, like, drown his clone every night in the show? Right, and there's this great, like, sequence of, is it Michael Caine or somebody who tells the story of uh, that that line that he says? And, and doesn't somebody else say, well, who's going to tell that story about how great drowning is? Oh, yeah, 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 right, right, right. Yeah, I, I love that pick. You guys are less enthusiastic. Yeah, no, no, I think it's great. Okay. I didn't think of it at all. I thought of the lesser Inception pick. Oh my God! Here's another great one. Oh jeez. Oh, and another good one. Oh. How many does he have? What the fuck? No, these aren't Arthur. Those were Arthur's picks. I'm moving on to Robert oh. Perry Cruz. All right, good. Robert writes. Uh, here are three baptism metaphors in movies worth emailing about. I've got a lawyer on speed dial if the 3 by 3 cop is trying to meet his ticket quota. Whoa, look at you, Robert. Sassing I hope your lawyer is David Boyes, the producer of um, Jane Got a Gun. Uh, for some reason, Dingus thinks people should know who that is. He tried that on me, Kelly Wan. I was like, I, don't, I have no idea. And he came in and he showed me a book written by this Boyes fellow. So, so Dingus actually knows the lawyer who helped produce James uh, What James was the book gun. called? It's called, hey, I'm a lawyer. It was something like that. Oh, <laughs> Why is he, is he like a famous author, Dingus? Like, is that how folks should know him? He's the guy who defended Al Gore during Bush Bush at Gore. Come on. Oh, yeah. oh that guy. Yeah, that guy. Jeez. Well, how could we not? He produced and got a gun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was a, there was, that name was on the producers. And when Dingus and I saw it, Dingus was like, oh. And I didn't know what he That lawyer I like. Right, right. <laughs> it was, so, I think it's, have you verified it was actually him, or is it just someone with the same name? No, no, it's definitely him. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Well, I see well, it worked out just about as well as it did uh, defending Gore. Uh, well, he also uh, worked with Ted. Uh, what's, he, one of the great things he did was in, in defending uh, or in, in fighting against the Proposition 8 in California, which he did with Ted, and I can't remember that lawyer's name. The guy he fought against, not Ted Knight, uh, the guy he fought against in Bush versus Gore, uh, they joined forces for the Proposition 8 battle in California. Uh, and he's also, he's re- actually, he's a really good writer of, of books, uh, of, you know, books about law and whatnot. But it, it was really weird for me to see his name pop up. But anyway, moving on to the picks here. Sorry. Well, I just hope that he uses his money more wisely in the future, Dingus. <laughs> Uh, all right, Robert Perry Cruz has – yeah, okay, I'm not going to pull you over on this one, Robert, but I am going to just sort of like ride on your bumper for a little while down the freeway and just to make you nervous. But then I'm going to turn off on another exit. So, Okay, here's Robert Perry Cruz's number three pick. Like Marty McFly. 
On the quest to find pirate One-Eyed Willie's lost treasure... Oh, my God. The titular Goonies must enter a skull-shaped rock leading to a totally awesome water slide. Oh, my God. Uh, there's water slides in Goonies. Was this the one or the ones where you went, oh, it's another great one? No, no, no. Those are his, these are his next two. Uh, okay. When the ride is over and the Goonies emerge from the water, they are rewarded with the image of an old Spanish galleon. They entered the water as boys. They broke the service as men. I don't, I don't know what to make of that. Uh, we'll be, I'll be explaining this in a minute, but by the way, what is currently in the, the lead for the uh, fundraiser to make us watch something, the Goonies is currently the, the one with the most votes. Oh, my God. Good yeah. Lord. All right, Robert Perry Cruz's next two picks, these are awesome, although I would personally reverse the one and two, but Robert, I love both of these. Uh, number two, and Dingus, you're, you're, so just like Kelly should have thought Altered States was a good one, Dingus, you should appreciate this one. In Let the Right One In, the meek ah. Oscar, yep, say Dingus, is plunged underwater for three minutes by cruel Swedish bullies. Fortunately, vampire bestie Eli arrives to eviscerate his tormentors, and when Oscar rises above the surface, well, when a severed hand loses its grip on his hair, her blood-spattered face is the first thing he sees. Oh, I love that shot. Yeah. Uh, Vampire bestie. (laughs) I like to think this moment, more than those in earlier scenes, delineates when Oscar decides to gather the courage to leave his old life behind for Eli. God, that yeah, shot but, that actress's eyes. Yeah, that's a great one. But it also totally does change him. I mean, that's a yeah. great idea. Yeah. It's a conversion. Definitely a conversion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goonies is leading. What's leading? What? Goonies is leading. <laughs> we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, uh, Robert Perry Cruz is number one. You sound so bummed out, Kelly. Yeah, a little bit. That's <laughs> not what I was hoping to hear. Robert Perry Cruz is number one pick. Um <laughs> Uh, and I like this because this is a quintessential horror movie image, and I thought – I think it's actually kind of cribbed from Apocalypse Now. Uh, but Robert Perry Cruz writes, number one, The Descent. It's on the cover of the yeah. DVD. No way mm. your lead actress covered in the slurry of cave people leftovers can be anything but a literal baptism in blood preparing her for the dangers ahead. That always mm. did make me think of like uh, Martin Sheen rising out of the water uh, in, in Apocalypse Now. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, other runners-up from you, gentlemen. Do you have anything? Uh, the back to tank. <laughs> but the one in Starship Troopers, not Empire. And also... Oh, in 2001, when he's immersed in Monolith. Kelly, is being is, is sort of enclosing yourself in the innards of a tauntaun. Does that count as an immersion? I thought they smelled bad on the Revenant. <laughs> All right, Dingus, what is – Dingus, do you have any runners-up? Uh, just uh, Rushmore. What? <laughs> That's a good one, actually. There's so many. They're in every movie. What's when the immersion? He, when he oh, my God. No, yes, yes. Go ahead, Dingus. Sorry. When he throws the golf balls in the pool. I've, been, I, I've used it before oh. this particular moment when he goes into the pool. Right, right, and right. Just, he's in the fetal position and sinking down, and that little boy, like, swims up to him. Well, that, that shot, by the way, Dingus, was obviously an homage to Juliet Binoche in blue. I think. Clearly. That's clearly what he's going for. Uh, Dingus, what is next week's 3x3? Three three? And uh, yeah, hit us with it and let us know how the listeners can participate. All right. So while I was uh, – uh, I had a movie night this weekend with a bunch of friends of ours. And um, the movie that they chose to watch with uh, us and our kids um, was a movie called Labyrinth uh, because – uh, one of the people who wanted to watch the movie um, 
actually cried the day that she found out that David Bowie died. And actually, one of the movies that one of our listeners mentioned had David Bowie in it, but I can't remember which one of them. Dang it. Anyway. Prestige. Oh, yeah, Prestige. Duh. Anyway, so uh, as we were watching the movie, this weird, you know, Tourette thing happened to me that as soon as uh, one of the characters said, you have to go into the labyrinth, I went drink, uh, which was um, this old game we used to play in college, which was a drinking game. And I wasn't a drinker in college, but nevertheless, I hung out with people who were drinkers, and I was generally the designated driver or the guy who would clean up after everybody. Uh, was Whenever the title of the movie was said within the movie, you had to drink. Uh, and this varies from movie to movie. Sometimes it never happens. Sometimes it does happen within a movie. Star Wars. Yeah, you know, generally they're not saying, okay, where are we going to have these Star Wars? These Star Wars are so crazy. Yeah. So... um so when I said that, the uh, one of the, the guys who was throwing the movie party said, well, wait, what was that? Why'd you do that? I said, well, this was a drinking game we played, and we all laughed about that. So I just, I really like it sometimes um, when movies mention the title of the movie within the movie. Uh, and this can be done really cleverly, and it can be done really clunkily. So these would be your favorite <laughs> moments where the title of the movie is mentioned within the movie. Now, I'm going to eliminate just names like Hamlet. Don't don't just choose Hamlet. What about Tammy? What about Victoria? <laughs> right. Um, that's just crappy because you know it, it's not much of a drinking game if you're going to. Hey guys, let's watch the four-hour version of Hamlet and just get ourselves blitzed. Um, but think of things that are uh, that are a little bit more of a stretch and maybe a little bit more uh, thematic, uh, but not. You know, you can do whatever. What about two names these, like these Mac your, and me? What'd you say? What about two names like Mac and me? That's stretching it a little. Right. Kelly Wand, you're going to do whatever you want, regardless of what I say. So <laughs> hey, thanks, man. You can, do, you can do mac and cheese if you want, or whatever. You said. That's fine. Right. Um, but I would avoid things like Hamlet or Victoria or that kind of a thing, um, and choose your favorite moments where the title of the movie is mentioned within the movie. What about yeah. Hamlet 2, which is a play in the movie? Yeah, or Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. You can choose that one. Yes, Tom. Uh, there is a – I don't know where I heard this. I want to say it was on a director's commentary or something, and I think it was attributed to, to Darren Aronofsky. But someone was saying that whenever – that Darren Aronofsky felt that any time you were in a theater and they say the title of the movie, you should just stand up and like blow a really loud raspberry at the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's like someone laughing at their own joke. Well, you know, I love Dingus' 3x3 because what are what are moments where it's not that kind of thing, where it's not stupid and gratuitous. So, yeah. All right, Dingus, what are listen- how can the listeners participate? All right, if you guys would like to participate, and we would love for you to, please write in to us at 3 by 3 at quarter to 3com That's 3, the letter X, the number 3, at quarter to 3com And by the way, if you uh, have uh, comments about the next week's movie, and Tom will say that later, uh, right into that uh, same uh, email address, 3x3 at quarter to 3.com. Well, I don't need to say it later because you just said it, Dingus. Dingus, what movie are we seeing next week? Oh, my gosh. I don't know, Tom. Speaking is of it, Wolverine is it Origins. Valentine's Day? Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's do a great romantic comedy like Deadpool. It's no, I can't wait to see it. He's red like a heart. <laughs> so, yeah, see Deadpool. And if you have any comments or things you'd like us to talk about or questions you have for us, please send them to 3x3 at quarter to 3.com. 
Before we go, I'm just going to read down, and I'll do this every week uh, up until we do our uh, podcast where you make us watch a movie. Here are the movies that are in the running in order from least votes to most votes. Uh, I'm not going to tell you the votes because I wouldn't want to skew anybody's uh, voting process yet. I, when we announce the movie, though, we'll, we'll absolutely talk about how many votes each movie got. All of that will be up front. But while people are still voting, I don't want to influence votes. So this is just the ranking. It's giving you no indication of how many votes any particular movie got. So here we go. I'm going down the list from least to most. Spoiler, Goonies has the most. Um, here we go. From least we have Ice Pirates. It's a mad, 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 mad world. The Dark Valley. Das Boot. Spotlight. Runaway Train. Turbo Kid. Sophie's oh. Choice. A funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Uh, no, no way out. Martyrs. Uh, the Battle uh, of Algiers. Commando uh, on the front line, which is a documentary, by the way. Uh, Ghost in the Shell. Things to do in Denver when you're dead. The Bothersome Man. Battleship Potemkin. Bendit like Beckham. Corvette Summer. Yeah. Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Uh, Wait, what? <laughs> Emmett, what is that? Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. I guess it's a movie. All I'm right, I'm in. I'm in. I, want to <laughs> I thought you said Emmett Coffin. Okay. Uh, he, well, he's the one that sent that in. So I, I think, yeah. uh, Heat. Turbo. Oh, uh, remember that one? Uh, Interstellar. Primer. Yes. Oh, Interstellar. That's great because then Tom would get to beat us down. Oh, I see. Yeah. Better luck tomorrow. Hateful Eight. Seventh, ah. seventh Seal. Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Thin Red Line. Big Trouble in Little China. Zapped. Master and Commander, something far into the world. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia. Purple Rain. Armageddon. It's such a beautiful day. Alien. AI, artificial intelligence. Spirited Away. Now, the person who wrote in with Spirited Away said, in case it's not a real movie, instead put in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. As we're trying to make clear, you can pick not real movies. You can give us cartoons and documentaries, just to make clear. So Spirited Away, Vincent, totally fine pick. Uh, Zulu, Once Upon a Time in the West. <laughs> Wild. Wait, Zulu a, movie? American Psycho, 12 Monkeys, The Damned United, Strotsek, The Hunt for Red October, Runaway, Tom Selleck one, <laughs> Crank High Voltage, Tom Selleck one, Pumpkin, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Midnight Run, uh. Jaws, Army uh, of Shadows, uh, Wild Tales, which in Spanish is uh, called Relatos Salvajes, uh, I don't know. Uh, Brick, Brick, and then Goonies. Uh, wait, the Goonies is so it's the the latter ones are the highest. Yeah, that was from least to most votes. I'll update the list uh, as we go on. Uh, Kelly Wand, you did our, our uh, announcement beforehand. We've got one more week, uh, so keep sending those in. Uh, you know, every vote, but by the way, all these movies have a 50% chance of being the movie that we watch because on any given movie, it either will or won't be the pick. Those are the two outcomes. There's a hundred percent of the chance of those two outcomes, a hundred divided by two, 50. So any movie you pick has a 50% chance being the movie that we watch and, and cover in, in that week's podcast. The movie that wins has a 100% chance of being the movie we watch. Exactly, Kelly Wand. It goes from 50 to 100, right? So yeah, just like that. The odds are good, yeah. 
so that's where we stand. Uh, send us your three by threes next week for uh, I think it's how would you put it? Like titles said in a movie. What's the, what's the concise way to put it? Uh, title of the movie said in the movie. There you go. Uh, see Deadpool. Send us your comments or any questions you might have about it. We'd love to make that a part of the podcast. And we'll see you next week. I have been Tom Chick. We have been joined by Christian Murslowski. It's Christian Murawski. And we had Kelly Wand. What about Mannequin 2 on the move? That's one in there. Put your dollars to donuts. We'll be one of those next week. Yeah. You say the title, Matt. She's on. Dingus, remember the episode of uh, Cheers where Woody watches the Police Academy movies with uh, Cliff's mom? I'm getting his horse. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! 